0: Hello. welcome to another episode of the all right Hot podcast uh, joining me on the line all the way from sunny scotland is dave dave have you looked at the curtains how is the weather
1: uh it's not bad a wee bit of rain a lot of wind very chilly how is it in sunny wonderful
0: sweden wonderful sweden it is completely dark we have descended uh it is now onto like the two hours of sunlight you get a day basically oh i, forgot, I, I uh, forgot sweden was in that part of europe it's pretty bad yeah but it's not <laughs> as cold as it gets it gets like you know down to about minus 20 degrees celsius in the winter uh and it is nowhere near that i mean i don't even need my heating on at the minute so it is just dark it is not bad however what is not dark is the prospects of us talking about some TV and video games. What a segue. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we're almost 12 I'm episodes in. I'm constantly this is so impressed. Good. Yeah, so am I. I didn't even think I had that in me. <laughs> uh, and of course, what we're going to do on this podcast, as we always do, is have a little chat about what we've been consuming, what we've been into in these past uh, couple of weeks since our last podcast. And Dave's been busy. I have a little list of the things you've been watching. And one of those is a bunch of, couple of anime films. What's going on? I watch anime. In fact, you have three anime films. One of them, Bokura no Uake. Oh my goodness, I wish I had actually looked up how to pronounce that before I said it. What is that, Dave?
1: It's a sort of sci-fi, coming-of-age film. Uh, My friend I went to see it with compared it to sort of, like, anime E.T., and I think that's being a little unfair to it. Uh, Because it's set About 20 years in the future. So you've got robots, AIs, kicking about. And it's about an alien that sort of uh, wants to... has crashed into Earth and needs to get back into space. So takes over a local AI that belongs to a family. And the kid and his friends of the family band together to get the alien back into space. And... It was, you know, lovely animated. Uh, I really liked the personal relationships with the kids because it just didn't... It felt... The way they acted around each other and behaved felt very natural. It wasn't like they were just doing what was most dramatic for the movie in a given moment. Uh,
0: Something I found really interesting about this one uh, when I was looking it up is it is officially a sign-in. Uh, Which is a a genre of, um, like a demographic genre of manga or anime, uh, which is aimed at older audiences. They're normally a lot gorier, a lot darker, have more adult themes. Yet this one had a cast of, I think, exclusively children, which is different. That's not normally something you have in that kind of like, I mean, I can think of a few sign-in recently, like Made in Abyss, for example, that have kids. But that's done to like contrast against the horrendous things that are happening uh, as like kind of like to really make the horror stand out. Same as um, what's it called? The uh, Wondrous Neverland or the Golden Neverland or whatever it's called. Um, Promised Neverland. That's the one where they use exclusively children to make the horrendous horror elements stand out. Do you think that this is the case with this one? Does it seem like it's an adult affair?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say adult in the way that it's it, it's in no way violent or anything, but it deals with topics that I don't think a kid would necessarily appreciate as much. Mm. I think there's enough in the film for just kids to enjoy if a, if, a, if a smaller child was watching it. But one of the things that's in the film is it's revealed as it goes on that the alien, uh, the alien AI has actually been on Earth for about 20 years and several of the kids parents were actually the ones that first encountered it and there's like feelings of regret and stuff that the parents have and like the way they've dealed with the way they fell out at that time and it's just i think the, those are themes that wouldn't be appreciated by a younger child but like made the film more interesting more dynamic uh Yeah, just thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, The voice acting was good, the animation beautiful. And I also just like the way they sort of portrayed this alien AI. It was different from the way they sort of usually go with this sort of thing. Like, in terms of actually making it something that would be difficult to understand.
0: Like in the comparison that you made to E.T.? Uh, E.T. doesn't really. S- I mean, maybe I'm doing a complete disservice to E.T. here, but it doesn't really seem to have a lot of adult themes. He just wants to go on. Like, I don't think there's really much subtext to E.T., uh, although, you know, it's, it's yours to read. I'm sure it's about the proletariat or something. Um, but, like, <laughs> the, um, with this one, uh, you know, you were talking about the uh, AI being much easier to understand. E.T. is kind of easy to understand, but also speaks really bad English, kind of Yoda esque um in that kind of way uh, using that et comparison i'm running with it how would you compare it to that i guess um
1: it's kind of the exact opposite in that it's more like the ai is so intelligent that it easily understands like how to communicate with the humans it finds itself among but while still being apart from them by you know well they're the robot assistant that it takes over it understands it more than the humans but it still appreciates them it's just yeah it's with et it's more like oh yeah you've just got yeah yoda (laughs) kicking about and this is um more like data from star trek i guess hmm
0: that's cool. Well, uh, would you, out of the three you watched, do you think it was the one you'd recommend the most? Um,
1: uh, absolutely. I think uh, the the day we went to the the cinema to see it, we saw that, and we saw Evangelion three point three
0: three, or was it
1: four plus one? I, the numbering system was the most recent one.
0: Evangelion and version one point five six final.
1: And I enjoyed that one a lot more than I enjoyed the Evangelion film. Mm.
0: Cool. Uh, although I'm sure we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. That's a little a little taster. Um, but it's uh, Break of Dawn uh, is its English name, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And uh, so, I mean, it's, you'd, you'd enjoy it the most out of all of them. How were the visuals? Was it a pretty film, do you think? Or was it kind oh, of yeah. like a mother? Yeah, cool.
1: Uh, like, the way they sort of, like, portray tokyo was quite interesting it was like you saw it was more like the suburb you were seeing than anything else and it just very detailed uh a lot of effort put into making the the future technology of like the uh, future replacements of things like mobiles computers and stuff like that there was like a definite effort to imagine what like the uis and stuff would look
0: like it was just it was just a very thoughtful film in general um That's always something that I always find really funny about, um, I guess, UIs and classic classic sci-fi is that they always look like teletext, because it's just kind of impossible to really uh, be able to kind of wrap your head around it. Um, Interesting. I
1: I, I love older sci-fi where it's like CRT TVs and those like wireframe 3D models and everyone going, oh my God, so intense, the graphics. And I'm like, shit, I love it when more modern stuff does
0: that. Like I like and Bread Runner when it looks like you're checking the weather or the like sports on teletext back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. rest in peace teletext. Um but this is actually a high quality segue, I promise. Uh, the actor uh, Yuki Yuki Aoi, uh, Aoi who plays Nanako, uh, the main robot e person in uh in Boccheri URK, uh, is also Pascal, famous robot in uh Near Automata. Um also, Madoka from Madoka Magica, uh, and also, most relevantly, and the reason I brought it up, Lucy from Cyberpunk Edge a thing that Ooh. I have watched, um, and I'll talk about that in a second. So, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, uh, someone's been, people have been trying to get me to watch this for weeks, uh, and. There's just been a lot of hype about it, and so I didn't really want to get into it just because I'm a a nerdy little hipster who likes to watch uh, things well after he should watch them. Uh, But eventually, people kept prodding me, and I was like, okay, I'll watch it. And I watched the entirety of it in a single sitting, basically. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, My friends told me that the story was the weakest part, and I can understand why you would say that. Uh, What it is, is it is a kind of a story that focuses really really hard on this person called david martinez who is in the world of cyberpunk uh cyberpunk 2077 and you see a lot of the locales that were kind of captured by the games and by the setting in beautiful uh beautiful beautiful work by trigger like it is a visually unbelievably visually stunning anime it's very pretty but the characters are very underexposed and i don't mind that that much like I think I really like that it focused on David and his addiction. Uh because it is all about David and his addiction and how the addiction kind of he loses himself in it. Uh and he kind of, you know, loses his ability to you know, the the dreams are kind of chewed up by the world of the cyberpunk, by the corporations. Um and you So see, he's addicted
1: to magic, is he? Uh, yeah, he addicted again. to magic. Yeah, he <laughs> loves his
0: magic. Uh he's addicted to uh body modifications. Uh, in order to basically... Originally, his first body modification was when he's beaten up by bullies at school who have... who He goes to a very prestigious boarding school. And uh, he's a poor kid, but his mum toils really, really hard to be able to get him into this prestigious boarding school so he can go up and be a corporate suit somewhere and make something of himself. Um, and his mum is killed in a car crash. Oh, she's not killed immediately. Uh, however, when the uh, medical team comes to check her, they decide that her insurance isn't uh, a high enough p- plan, So they just leave her to die in the middle of the street. Um, and this is in the opening um, episode, uh, basically. Uh, and so he... I'm sorry, I thought you
1: said it was uh, science fiction <laughs> <laughs>
0: it is, uh, science. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's cyberpunk. I mean, uh, tra- trauma team. Yes. If, unless you've got traumatine premium, they're not, they're not giving you anything. Um, sorry. I was, I thought I was, I was cutting you off there. Um, No? Okay, cool. So, uh, after she is left to die in the middle of the street in the car crash, uh, he basically discovers that she has, for some reason, an incredibly powerful and valuable body augmentation, a new spine. And with the little money that he has, and that he's managed to couple together, he gets this new spine fitted in himself and goes to school, slows down time, and beats the bullies within an inch of their lives. And with that, decides that... Well, I can't really make it as a corpo a corpo anymore, even though I have the chance, even though the school still isn't going to expel me and they're still going to give me a chance. I am decided that I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to live off the thrill of beating people up and being an edge runner, which is essentially like somewhat of a smuggler or a hired hand with many body modifications. And eventually there's this kind of crime to keep working, to keep modifying, to keep modifying. And what happens when you start to modify more of yourself is you, you become more machine than human. And you start to basically go off to these fantastical, um, almost like PTSD attacks, basically, where you imagine yourself you're in a different place and you see yourself in a different place, but actually you're still surviving and the computer is controlling you. Uh, And that's manifested in a few ways. People start to shake, uh, you see them start to glaze over and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, But it can, it it more seriously manifests itself in his mentor figure uh, who has a really, really bad. Uh, reaction, despite all of his loved ones telling him to stop modifying himself, he says, "No, I need to be the greatest. I need to be the best. I can control this. I'm on top of my addiction. I, I'm never going to, to 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 um to be able to do to uh you know I'm never going to be able to fall out of control. I'm always going to be on top of this. And eventually, that person starts becomes a cyber psycho because they lose too much of themselves to their addiction. And you kind of see how this addiction to cyber psychosis and how this addiction to the power and the thrill that gives you but also the addiction to being able to have a dream to aspire to something because his mum sacrificed so much to be able to for her to live a dream but it's not a dream he wanted he then shackles onto other people's dreams constantly battering between other people just trying to live off the power to be a celebrity to be a legend however unfortunately the only way you become a legend in night city is how you die it's not how you live um and it's a tragedy Uh, but there is an element of hope in there, Uh, and uh, that kind of manifests itself in Lucy, a character who is played by the robot we just talked about, uh, who he kind of shackles himself to her dream, to go to the moon, and eventually to raise enough money to be able to send himself and Lucy to the moon. Um, There is a good supporting cast. You never really delve into what their dream is or why they wanted to become Edgerunners in the same way that you do for David and Lucy, and I think as a result... They always feel like window dressing, but they are different ways to look to an extent at how David's grappled with addiction, but they only never really expose them to the point where that's actually meaningful. I think only one character really gives you a meaningful reflection of David's addiction uh, in the way that the rest of the story tries to amplify and look at. And in that same breath, the actual part of it, the stuff they're doing from minute to minute, from episode to episode is very it's just there to basically show david needing to keep replacing himself to keep tapping into this to lose sight of what he's doing in his relationship with lucy uh, and then his relationship with lucy starts to ape that of his mother and you get a lot of that and it worsens, and it worsens, and it worsens, and it wears, and then it spits about and he's somewhere and he doesn't know where he is and he's in the thrall of cyberpsychosis. psychosis uh, and he starts to lose himself to it and it's very sad But it's also a fantastic piece. And it's great. And I love the way they kind of uh, decide to show off addiction. It's it's great. I really, really enjoyed
1: it. Is the series a complete story beginning to
0: end? It is. uh, Mm. It could not be more complete. Like, they've said they won't do a season two. And that's because I don't really understand how they could possibly follow up. I mean, it's Mm. no secret. Cyberpunk is about how technology makes our lives worse. It's how corporations make our lives worse and uh, it doesn't end in a way that i think you could recover from <laughs> and i don't think that will be a surprise to anyone it's a tragedy um that's that's
1: more interesting although they could do like an anthology run right, but... they absolutely could yeah
0: um so something that's really interesting uh, if you play cyberpunk 2077 in the big bar in there there's a menu of drinks of people who have legends who have died and you'd become a legend if you died. So Johnny Silverhand's in there. There's a bunch of like other really big um, edge runners and cyberpunks uh, who have died and then been immortalized in a drink. And the David Martinez has been in there since launch. Uh, since Cyberpunk, actually. Since it came out a few years ago, his name has been in the menu and no one knew why. Um,
1: uh, so it's a prequel. It is indeed,
0: yeah. Uh, so everyone knows how it's going to end. David's not making it out of this but as soon as you start grappling with addiction and you can't stop and you get addicted to the power it's only a matter of time like as soon as you start replacing yourself and modifying yourself you will eventually die to cyberpsychosis. you can either make it you can either like live live out a little bit longer or you can go all in and try and you know do something Uh, and david is in a really grotesque state by the time it ends he's just like a fleshy torso and he's sawn off all the rest of his body to put himself into like a gigantic mech basically it's uh, pretty brutal um
1: but... i'm a sucker for a tragedy so that sounds much more compelling than what i had originally envisioned yeah I, when when uh, it dropped and there was a lot of buzz around it a lot of people were describing it as very much a shonen sort of series and um, this is sounding a bit not that <laughs> like it sounds like he would overcome it with the power of friendship or something like
0: i think you can definitely look at it as kind of he is a special boy um in fact that's one of the things i forgot to talk about actually and that david constantly says i will not i'm not going to in the same way that his mentor did i will not succumb to cyberpsychosis because i'm special uh, and that's something about david is you think his special power is this super cool military spine but actually, it's, he has, for some reason, a natural tolerance to cyberpsychosis, in that he goes crazy, or oh, sorry, not goes crazy, but he starts to have the negative effects of cyberpsychosis at a much delayed rate than the people around him. And to that end, David starts to believe that he's special. He starts to believe that he is not like all the other people that have burned out and died and have succumbed to their addiction. He constantly says, I am special. And you realise, and everyone around him realises that that's just David's way of rationalising the fact that he's burning his candle out. Like, he's not special. He's just a dude. And you come face-to-face at the end with Adam Smasher, who is special. He's the boogeyman. He's the most notorious, complete metal robot man that you meet at the end of Cyberpunk 2077. He is a legend that people do not believe exists. And David says... Hey, Adam Smasher, I hear you're a big deal, but I'm special. And Adam Smasher's just like, you're not special. You're nothing to me. Uh, you were never special. We, you, know, you were just slightly different. Um, and uh, I'm always a sucker for that kind of narrative of that, like the whole special kind of special boy thing that's kind of taken a place, and it just falls out completely beneath him. It was just a way of rationalizing that how he could keep modifying himself and how he could keep succumbing to addiction, despite the fact every single person around him was telling him to stop. Even his surgeon, who's taking money off him to keep putting metal robot parts in him, keeps telling him to stop, uh, even though he keeps giving him money. Um, and uh, yeah, David. David unfortunately meets a, a pretty bad demise. Um,
1: Sounds like it has more of like an inversion of those shonen tropes,
0: which is a lot more compelling than I thought it would be. It has that element to it, but the way the reason I think people say it's a shonen. Is the kind of. I focused a lot on the characters because the characters are really good. But I think that what you do from episode to episode is it's like there's just kind of a monster of the week. Like it's like they get a job and they go do a job. There's not really any antagonist that's built up. Uh, You get some antagonist who's kind of the head of a corporation, uh, who's kind of the big bad, I guess. But even then, he's just a face for a larger thing that they can never defeat. Like he's you know he is he's a face that they can interact with that can talk to them, but he's never really he he's never really personally involved in a way that builds him up or gives him agency or things that he wants or uh, that clashes with the things that David wants. he's just a greedy man who wants money and they defeat him or they don't like there's there's not any there's nothing to it. The battles exist just as a th- way of filling time, I think. And I think that's the way it feels like a shonen. They're beautiful battles, really cool action scenes, but the action scenes don't really do anything for the story, apart from show David getting stronger and stronger and stronger in a really beautiful way. But it, there's very little work being done by the battles in it, I think. Uh, everyone's favorite character is Rebecca, who is a... Uh, someone who is uh, pretty strongly in love with David, but David will just never see her as a woman. In in David's exact words, uh, in a particularly brutal scene, she's kind of like, I'm just using my woman's intuition. And David's like, what woman? <laughs> like, he's pretty, <laughs> he's pretty, pretty. Harsh. Yeah, it's, it's tough. <laughs> and she's um, kind of like a petite woman uh, who has gigantic gorilla arms that she's replaced her arms with. And so she walks around on her knuckles like a gorilla and has gigantic guns. And she's like Harley Quinn kind of character, but also pretty fun. She's cool. Uh, But I think that she struggles from not being Lucy, who's the main love, and therefore she doesn't want anything. She's just a dude who kind of wants David, but there's no complexity or interesting conflict to the way she wants David. In the same way that David's addiction and Lucy's journey to the moon has. Um, and it's never elaborated on. So while she's an incredibly cool character to a taste test, you know, she's the Pepsi. When you have a shot of Pepsi, it tastes good, it's sweet, but in a full bottle, it's not as good as Coke. That's what people say. I like Pepsi Max personally. And in the same way, she's good to a taste test. She's a good side character, but she has very little complexity to it. And I think there's a lot of complexity you could have. Um, Like she is um, established as coming in with her brother. She only got into the cyberpunk game because of her brother. And after her brother's death, she kind of shackles on to whatever man she can. And that kind of recontextualizes her pining for David as being, looking for any port in a storm. But that's so never So le- less of a man.
1: David is special, more of a, there's been people before and there will be people
0: after David. Yeah, right. I mean, that is unfortunately what happens uh, with David. It's like, David leads, takes on the platoon of his mentor, uh, whose name escapes me who was kind of like a, seen as being a big deal, and he was really cool, and David looked up to him. Uh, and even David says, after you die, I want your arms, which is a really weird thing to say, but it makes sense when you have gigantic metal arms that you can pass down. Um, you hey, know. I mean, giant metal arms aside, when you die, I want your arms. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm afraid I already have them in my will uh, to go to uh, a charity. Um, they're going to... <laughs> i don't know what they're going to use them for but that's up to them um charities are cool <laughs> but i think uh it's just it's just going to the british heart foundation <laughs> he's in with ashtrays uh the british heart foundation just go and pop into oxfam and just see my decapitated arms pickled in a jar um but yeah uh you know he has his kind of mentor he looks up to and uh david thinks he special he thinks he wants to come to the same thing but all david wants to be is a celebrity and unfortunately by when he gets what he wants he kind of realizes that actually what he wanted was a dream not really to be powerful because when he's powerful he never wants to stop he wants to keep there's always like something further to keep going um like when the reason i watched this after a lot of people told me to was i heard super eyepatch wolf on his podcast say he kind of saw it as a commentary on grind set culture Of people who are sold these dreams by social media they're sold just to keep working to keep working and eventually to keep trying to be this this completely fake and unrealistic depiction of themselves they lose themselves to this addiction to grind they lose themselves to addiction to working um and i think that that's a good read david loses himself to this addiction to become a celebrity to become something that people but he realizes that actually to become something that people remember he has to forget who he is um and uh i think that's uh, i think it does that really well that's the part that i think it does exceptionally so really enjoyed it enjoyed it way more than i thought i would uh, really enjoyed the music the visuals uh, some of the supporting characters but it is just a david and lucy show um and lucy herself gets very little to do halfway through there is a reason for that uh which i think is actually quite poetic but it becomes just a david show and if david isn't enough for you uh, then you're not going to have a good time because it is his story. I, um,
1: I think a David is always enough for anyone. A
0: David Martinez. Um,
1: it's a good strong name. It is indeed.
0: But cool. Uh, should we move on to another anime or do you have anything else to ask about that cyberpunk? Uh, no, I think you covered it pretty well. Cool. I rambled, but I did enjoy it. And you've also been watching a anime and I've seen this anime. Uh, It is Jojo Part 6 Anime Part 2. What do you think of that?
1: I I mean, it's Jojo. It's hard not to enjoy. Uh, I mean, for this part, for the area it covers from the manga, it's covering some of the best and worst parts of Part 6. And I think it goes some way of improving... uh, On the good parts, like, I particularly liked how they made the episode with the prison guard that can, like, you can only remember three things. And when I read that in the manga, it was definitely interesting, but it was kind of hard to get a sense of, like, the geography, what was going on. And I think that was a part that really benefited from being uh, in the anime over the manga. However, there were some parts that weren't so good in the manga, like uh, the Yo-Yo Ma uh, stand battle was just... I didn't like it in the manga, I didn't like it here. Uh, mm. I also wasn't a big fan of the fight with... Well, I forget its name, but the stand that protects the, the green baby uh, that they're after. Yeah, the, the kind uh, of
0: leafy, leafy green baby thing. With the guy who it keeps was... hurting himself. Uh-huh.
1: uh no, I mean the one, the, the one that makes them shrink the closer you get. Yeah, to sorry,
0: it. no, but I mean they do. They go off on the hovercraft with the guy who keeps. Sorry, not the guy who keeps hurting himself, but there's like a, just a dude on the hovercraft with them. He's like a green dude. Yeah, 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 that
1: that that's Yo Yo Ma.
0: Okay, uh, and then the green baby is directly after Yo Yo Ma, right?
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I I forget the name of the one. Uh, so th- those were bits that were a bit of a drag to watch, if I'm honest. But those were the only low points of part two. I thoroughly enjoyed the, uh, the adaption of the... I guess we just call it prison brawl, because it's, it's the fight with the guard, and then the fight with the guy who does the thing, Shui. And uh, also uh, FF's encounter with Father Pucci
0: that does not go well for her. The feng shui guy was a particular favorite of mine. Uh, I actually quickly had something to say is that I actually, when I'm watching the remembering fight where you can only remember three things, I did remember how completely and utterly nonsense that is, like, in a way that is more nonsense than normal, like it doesn't make any logical sense with like how that's actually figured out with like the photo. And also, like the whole concept of remembering three things, like forgetting people in front of you and things like that, it is complete nonsense. Uh, in a way that <laughs> falls apart. But I still enjoyed it. And yeah, it's still fun. Like it, it never
1: made sense. Not really. No. Uh, especially their excuse of like how sometimes, like oh yeah, if you look at something in a reflection, you can see everything in the reflection because it's you know because <sighs> yeah. you're only looking at one thing. And I'm like, and also, how can you see bullets in the
0: reflection? They move pretty fast. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> like, peak Iraqi, Iraqi nonsense, but uh, still a very enjoyable nonsense. Um.
1: Like, yeah, it wasn't as like, because yeah, I I think just all the 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 fights in this part really benefited from the animation, because with maybe the exception of the first, uh, the first one with the guard uh because even the feng shui one as much as i enjoyed that one in the manga because it's unique fun and just like a great battle it's it's hard to get uh there was just things that yeah the, the animation of being able to like show the fight progressing with the the dragon pointing and stuff like that it was easier to get a sense of what was actually going on the voice. If I'm th- honest, when I was in the manga, I didn't really understand it the first time. Yeah, the. It was just cool.
0: The uh, the guy, the Feng Shui guy, is also voiced by uh, Kinzo from Umineko as well, which is great.
1: Haha, <laughs> wow.
0: Be a Be That's the right, Much better than me. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, that was the uh, Feng Shui guy. But cool. Um, so, so what did what did you think of it? I love seeing the Feng Shui guy. Uh, it's just JoJo. I mean, it's difficult not to enjoy, really. I did. I, I don't like how it's being dropped in the way that it is. I wish it was weekly. I feel like there's been a lot hmm. less conversation that you would normally expect from a JoJo. Um, something that my friend said that I thought was really interesting, and I'd love to hear what you think, is he thinks that Jolene is humiliated in a way that a JoJo never normally is and uh if you look at like part three with jotaro for example polnareff is kind of the character that runs into all the ridiculous things like he'll run into like the toilet with the pig's head in it or the baby or you know like the the kind of the you know the the weird comedy stuff will happen to polnareff and then jotaro is kind of the cool guy he will pop up and do some stuff whereas jolene has a comedy character but also seems to get fall over or get inconvenienced in a way that no other jojo really does uh which i thought was really an interesting point um because you know you can't even in the way that she's introduced she's introduced uh masturbating i think right can you imagine any jojo that would be introduced masturbating like if jotaro would be introduced in that way for example um it's uh it's an interesting thing i think um
1: I forget that that was actually how she was introduced in the manga. Like, yeah, I think yeah. that's it's that scene kept. I mean, it's definitely kept in the anime, but I think it's pushed further back. It is,
0: but that, that, that's, yeah, that is exactly um, how she's introduced in the manga. I think,
1: Uh with maybe the exception of that scene, because it's really hard to justify it with this. But I think with a lot of the other things that I was thinking of when you were saying that, it's like. Unlike the other JoJo's, this one's set in a prison, which is naturally a place where you're, you know, dehumanized. Yeah. So it's only natural she'd be on the back foot in a way that the other JoJo's aren't. That makes sense. Or at least if they ever are, it's only ever for maybe like an episode or something. Um, so, yeah, I think I agree with that. I don't... I mean... Araki isn't exactly an expert on like gender pogs poly- and gender politics and that so yeah i think he's fallen into a trap but i don't think it's like so critical a failure that it detracts from
0: the things that is actually really good about the character mm, no she is, she is cool um, i do like her i don't i'm thinking about the supporting cast from what we've seen in the anime and I do think that maybe not as strong a stronger supporting cast. Like I like Anisei, uh, Anasui, uh, and I like uh, Weather Report, um, but I'm not too throbbed on the rest of the supporting cast in the prison.
1: Weird. I'm kind of I'm kind of the uh, the opposite. I, I like uh, FF and uh, Oh, what's her name? Escapes me right now. The one with Kiss as the stand.
0: Uh, (laughs) Costello. That's the one.
1: Yeah, because I don't know. Anisee is just like, oh, I love Jolene, and that's his character. Even though they're like, oh yeah, he's this weird serial killer who takes everybody apart. And it's like, I was like, ooh, that's really fascinating. I wonder how that's going to inform his character, and then it just doesn't.
0: It does when he's not around Jolene. (laughs) Uh, He's a complete psychopath.
1: Yeah, no, that's true, but he hardly spends any time apart from Jolene shortly after he's introduced, like, or at least when he is apart from her, it's like, I don't know, I I just think he sort of gets introduced late enough in the game that he just doesn't feel as developed as the other two, Um, and I maybe wouldn't like FF as much as if she wasn't, like, dispatched relatively early on, like, the tragedy of her character is that she never really got the chance to be free be herself um, in
0: the Baron Zeppeli role um, or yeah. just the Zeppeli role, I guess, to be honest <laughs> Rest in peace. I
1: wonder if there's some relation there, maybe our host was uh, a distant Zeppeli relationship, uh, relation I, I, um, but, um, I don't know, it's still but, enjoyable it's
0: still, still church- church. I mean,
1: yeah, no, it's, it's, it's one of the ones I I think it's in like the top half of the JoJo's for me, uh, but it's not at the high point for me of the, the JoJo series, uh, which is JoJo Part 4, in my opinion. JoJo
0: Part 4 is great. Although, I love Part 2 as well, uh, to be honest.
1: Yeah, Part 2 is great, but I think it's uh, a little bit below for me, just I mean, Joseph's is still my favourite Jojo.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think it's, uh, he suffers a bit from Hamon being quite limited, whereas, like, as we've seen from some of the examples in this part, you know, there is no limits to what you can do with Stance, I think. Um, so that's kind of fantastic. Uh, but cool. Um, I have said my only thing that I've watched. So, unfortunately, uh, if you want a <laughs> break, we can do a game. But I'm just going to keep asking you about what you've been watching. So, an- another no, anime. Going. Let's do it. Uh, Archer. What an anime. Season 12. Uh, What do you think? (laughs)
1: Well, Archer, classic shounen anime. Um, The thing is, with a show that's gone 12 years on, it's definitely showing its age. Mm. Um, Particularly because I'm one of the people who really enjoyed the coma series. Uh, If you're not familiar, Ben, uh, the main character ends up in a coma. So for three seasons, uh, each season would be, like, a different coma experience. Like, one was him as a private eye in, like, 1950s Los Angeles. Uh, Another was him in, like, a Indiana Jones, like, serial, where he's, like, a a pilot in the Caribbean.
0: That is beyond bizarre.
1: Uh, Uh And my favourite out of the three was one where it's, like, a science fiction, like... We were talking earlier where it's like how people in the 70s thought the future would be with like the big crt monitors and wireframe cgi where they're like you know space salvagers and for me that kept the series feeling fresh whereas when it was like the post coma series it's like immediately make them go back to being a spy again um although they had had some interesting things going on where it's like Uh, his post-coma self was like a weakened version of himself he had a cane for a couple of seasons uh, and being on the back foot was an interesting development for the character this is also the first season without the wonderful jessica walters um Mm. and her presence is missed greatly um I'll but I'll still tune in each week to see them to see the cast that still remains, bickering and arguing and making obscure references. I still enjoyed it on the whole, but it does feel like it's running out of steam a little.
0: So I remember watching Archer for the first few seasons, like seasons maybe one, two, three, four, five mm-hmm. or something. I'm thinking back, like when I you know I hadn't thought about Archer in a long time. I'll be honest. Uh, when I saw it on the, kind of the docket for today, I was like. Is that just still actually funny? Like, I'm not just talking about maybe the first few seasons, which I think maybe are showing their age a little bit, but, like, is it still funny? Do you think it's changed and ducked and weaved and changed with the times that the the recent season is still just as funny as you remember the old ones being?
1: Um, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say just as funny. There's definitely episodes that were... Because there was, like, a couple of episodes this season that were so good that I was like man, these are like the show when it was at its peak. Mm. But there are also a couple of episodes that are like, ooh, maybe they're a bit past it and they're kind of relying on the same tricks.
0: Kind of over the hell a little bit, yeah. Uh, I mean, 12 like, seasons, you uh, I mean, can
1: blame them. Um. Like, yeah. Uh, I think there are shows that run long as long as this that don't come off half as well. Cause I think the benefit this show has over a lot of others is that's a very, very talented voice cast. Like uh you got, you know uh Judy Greer particularly is always one of my favourites as Cheryl. Uh H. John Benjamin as Archer. Um Classic as always. Just And I mean there are there are some ways in which they are trying to like be different like the animation gets better every year there's a particularly good fight scene where they're fighting in a junkyard with a bomb that's like alternating between magnetic pull and push and that's really that's a really cool fight scene like uh so yeah there, there are some ways in which it is pushing the envelope a little but i think like the fact that they're still spies thirteen years on is like, mm, that's that's where it gets like a little little tired. Um, we have another mission in South America where they end up having to build a raft or something. It's like I'm, it's like I'm pretty sure we've done this before. Hmm. Like, <laughs> um, one other benefit of the season is they had uh, Kevin Novak, uh, play a sort of their boss slash villain of the season um he was a lot of fun like a new a bit of a shot in the arm when they had like a regular new cast member but i think he will be gone if there is going to be a next season um i don't think he'll
0: be back i tried to look up some kevin novak and the the name is spelled very differently to how i imagined um yeah,
1: I've probably said it wrong. <laughs> oh, and
0: from Four Lions, of course. Big Kevin. Kayvan. Yeah. Kayvan, or maybe, don't yeah. Uh, Nan- Nandor from What, what We Do the in the Shadows. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I would watch Archer again, just in my mind. Uh, but I guess if you are in for 12 seasons, then I think it's probably, there's probably a lot of in-jokes and a lot of references and stuff that you'd really enjoy from it at this point. Um, and do you think it's showing any signs of stopping? Like, do you think they're kind of going to, you know, you think, do you expect the 13th season could be their last, or uh, is it still, you know, going to keep going as long as they can? Um.
1: Uh, I think they're going to want to keep going, Mm. because it doesn't end in a definitive way. If they were going to end at a specific point, it should have been, like, last season, because the finale they had then was much more, it felt more final, with uh, Mallory leaving the show because of Jessica Walter's death. Uh, just where the characters were were in more of a, a place you could leave them, and it felt final. Whereas, this kind of felt more like they're teasing what could come next. So I think they definitely want to keep going. Uh, I I think they'll keep going as long as they can keep getting seasons. Uh, I'll probably be back for the next one. because uh, the thing is, you're I would maybe like if you're ever one day you know bored and don't know what to watch. I definitely recommend checking it out, but it's not particularly the more recent seasons aren't so good that you need to
0: watch it. I mean, you'd probably, judging from context, you'd probably recommend that I don't pick it up at the recent seasons, and I pick it up at maybe like season the coma seasons, like season nine, eight, ten, yeah, right about there Uh,
1: I think it's seasons uh seven to nine. I think are
0: the are the coma ones. Cool well i uh, always done for a bit of karma and the way you, you said it sounded really interesting like they were constantly finding fresh ways to do it so that sounds cool um, yeah because
1: it was it was just ways to get, like give the cast something new to do while still doing the same kind of humor that they usually do which is like mostly having the cast interact in amusing ways mm. but allowing them to play like fresher versions of
0: themselves that's cool well a little bit of that um that's a comedy something that i've written down with a question mark is this a comedy Is another anime more animes dave star trek lower deck season three um <laughs> is this a comedy question mark um because it sounds like a comedy it is Wikipedia. Um, it is a comedy um and in fact it's funny
1: that you you bring up archer because particularly in its first season my biggest criticism is that it was trying to be archer in um, that you could, like, look at a lot of the characters and just, you know, there would be an easy Archer comparison. Like, um, uh, Mariner Beckett, uh, the female lead, she's Archer. Boimler is Lana. Uh, Tendy is Cheryl. And Rutherford is Dr. Krieger. Like, and even just the way they try to, like do their humor is very in an archer way or if not trying to rip off archer it was kind of trying to rip off rick and morty which was which was worse when it tried to do that luckily we're now three seasons in and it's got more of an identity um my biggest criticism of it still remains though and that it seems to think that if you reference something that happened in Star Trek, that counts as a joke.
0: Mm, okay, yeah, it's kind of like, you remember this. Um.
1: And it's like, and, and I'm a huge Star Trek nerd.
0: Uh, I've seen it all.
1: Um, but yeah, those those bits always make me groan. Um, and it also just makes the universe feel a bit smaller when it's like the, the only things that they can reference are things that happened in the other shows like whenever they want to like have someone be involved in the plot it's like oh captain picard funded this it's like so there are it's just the way like star wars normally does it and it's like that there are only eight people in the galaxy that are important yeah um again with the third season they do that less but it is still quite frequent on the plus side, um, it is starting to find more of its identity uh, in terms of having them be something of the making, not just the cast members we follow, but the the larger crew and ship be something of you know the losers of Starfleet. They're they're not well regarded. They don't get good jobs, but it's like. Let's try and, you know, have the optimistic thing, see what they are capable of. I don't know. There's there's some good stuff in there, and I like some of the individual settings and stories. They do because in fact back when it was just the first season and we didn't have the fantastic Star Trek Strange New Worlds, my biggest problem was that they didn't really do anything science fiction-y. And then Here Comes Lord Decks. As much as I had criticisms for the first season, I was like it felt the most star trek star trek had been in like a decade <laughs> like um so it, even if it's way too self uh, reverential of the star trek that came before it, it
0: is at least at the same time it has that spirit in it so because it makes a lot of references for someone who hasn't watched star trek do you think that they could watch this and still have a good time or do you think maybe not for the
1: first two seasons? Um. Uh, yeah, actually, I think you could because I think another thing that's a bit annoying about most of the references is they references made in such of a way that they explain it for the people who don't know. <laughs> like, okay. Uh. Which just makes the joke even more unfunny. <laughs> like, um,
0: because I th-
1: And it's just... Yeah, it also just leads to weird things. Like, they keep referring to tropes from star trek but they refer to like the episode names
0: it's like that's very bizarre i don't know it's weird but i think um i don't know the thing about making references is like it's really fun and it it's like having the kind of like the multiverse stuff of like just stacking stuff on top of stuff but i guess this isn't really the place where they can you know progress the things they're referencing from a star trek you know um, because this isn't really the avenue to do that. I don't they're going to break new ground within the Star Trek universe in this particular show, um, other than for the characters that exist in the show. So I guess they can't really do anything with the references, and therefore they have absolutely no real subtext or conflict that goes with them, um, which is kind of sad. But it is supposed to be funny it's a comedy so for some reason i didn't realize that it was animated until you started talking about it which i managed to miss and so i was saying like oh it's, it's, got, it's got jack quaid in it jack quaid in star trek that sounds amazing uh but he's a, a voice of someone in star trek um
1: he he in fact he's somebody who starts out in the first season with a really boring character like hmm. that he elevates but they've been developing him quite well as it goes on, and Jack Jack Quaid is up to the challenge. Like I'm actually quite impressed with his voice acting chops, because at first I thought he was like what, the person they cast just to have somebody you know famous from TV, like
0: Star of the Boys,
1: uh, Jack Quaid. Um, yeah, essentially. But so he, he's somebody who's been surprising as it's gone on. That's cool.
0: Uh, in the contest between watching this or watching Archer. Uh, what would you recommend?
1: I'd recommend this.
0: Yeah, I guess it's good um, it to watch as well.
1: If you're t- if you're just talking about the more recent Archer, then yeah, this. Because uh, e- even though particularly early on it tries to be Archer, it does start to find more of its own identity as it goes on.
0: That's cool. Um, cool, a little bit of that. Should I uh, break in with a game, or are you good to keep going uh, for the TVs? Uh, I'm good to keep good going. The then we have another anime. Uh, it is an actual anime this time. So I fail to find any information online about this. So I'm not going to have any good questions unless I think of any while you're talking. Uh, and that's going to be Barbarian. It's another film that you saw. Is it good? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's amazing because the reason you might not be able to find it is because barbarian is not an anime
0: okay that explains so much when i was googling but bar- for some reason i thought it was an anime so i was googling barbarian anime <laughs> okay then i can find some stuff uh, barbarian 2022 um, a young woman traveling to detroit for a job interview
1: Ooh, yeah job interviews are scary terrifying um, but no, it's a yeah, it's a horror movie. A friend of mine really enjoyed it and recommended we should watch it. Uh, he gave it a ten out of ten. Mm. I would maybe give it a ten out of ten, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it did a lot of, well, maybe not a lot, but it had like cause one of my problems with horror is it's a little too much like the rest of the genre. It's hard to really do something original, and I think this managed to find some original things to do. Partly because it seems to switch between different kinds of horror throughout the length of its film. Like early on, there's this sort of like that sort of tense interpersonal horror where she turns up at the uh, Airbnb and it's been double booked. There's a guy there, and you have that awkward tension of you know a woman having to share a place with a guy who she doesn't know and he's overly familiar at the same time as being friendly and it's like it's something they they, they get a lot of tension out of that before they within about 40 minutes switch to more of like a, a monster
0: film for a moment so is the guy that she's sharing the uh, the the house with bill skarsgård or is he the the monster um,
1: uh, I think Bill Skarsgaard is the guy she shares house yeah, the house with. Yeah, the
0: Swedish lad. Um,
1: I'm not particularly familiar with his work, but I think that was. He was, was
0: Pennywise him. Uh, in It. I didn't see it. He is the brother of. Oh, you haven't seen that either. Um, I was going to say Atlanta. He was. I don't know what else he's in it that you might have seen. Um, I use
1: an up and coming.
0: He's also uh in the nosferatu the new crow and new john wick um he's quite he's relatively famous but he's been in a lot more swedish stuff so i know probably why i know him over here he's hes also the english version of the moomin troll in the new moomins um oh shit new moomins newmans got to
1: check that out
0: but there's also like he's got kind of like blonde hair and he's like a very pretty man uh there's also like a very boyish man with big eyebrows called justin long who's in there um I don't know what he plays in it, but he's also in the brand new oh, TV series plays, of Goosebumps. He
1: plays one of the worst characters I've ever seen in a while. Oh, yeah. And I mean, in, in a deliberate way, rather than, you know, they, they didn't know what they were doing. It's mm. just, it's hard to have someone on screen that made me that uncomfortable for the the length of the film that he's in. I was very happy when he finally bites the dust. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to say, he's in Because it, it did seem like- Sorry, he's whoa, in sorry. the new TV series of Goosebumps that they're making. Um, Seems a bit weird. Do do whatever you want with that information. Um, <laughs> Does Justin Long only do weird horror things? He was in Die Hard 4. Um, Galaxy Quest. Oh um,
1: yeah, he was in Die Hard 4. He played the hacker. He is. I actually kind of like Die Hard 4. It's not good, but I kind of liked
0: it anyway. He is the baby in Trump <laughs> Baby. What? He is the baby in Trump Baby. Um, what is Trump Baby? It is.
1: Please don't tell me it's a animated comedy about a baby version of Donald Trump. It
0: doesn't. It doesn't seem to be animated. Um, he seems to play the. Oh no. Okay, I'm gonna do some some off-screen research about this. This is just me going through IMDb to find things to talk about. But, um, he he's also the voice of Spyro. Um. The Dragon.
1: Original or, or new flavor Skylanders.
0: Um, it's a new fleet. 2016. So, six years ago, uh, if you want to call that. I guess that's newer Spyro. Um, but I managed to completely derail us really, really adeptly there. So, obviously, he's a very unsettling actor, and <laughs> uh, Bill skarsgård is one of the guys he's sharing the house with.
1: Well, I mean, I don't think Justin Long, as somebody I would have said, was an unsettling actor, and it's not even that he plays something particularly out there. The thing that's unsettling about him is that he's uh, he plays, like, a, a TV star or movie star whose career takes a nosedive because he, well, he denies it, but his behaviour throughout the film suggests otherwise, but he that he, he raped someone on a pilot of a show and the thing that the film made me very nervous about for a minute is that towards the end of the film he has like a dark moment of the soul where he like looks at himself like i'm a bad person and i'm like oh fuck they better not try to redeem this piece of shit um but then like seconds later he like pushes the female lead towards the monster to by himself sometime.
0: Like, wow.
1: So it's like it's like seconds later he's immediately doing the thing, like so it's like no, they didn't actually try to redeem him. I think they were just trying to like I don't know, have a commentary on like the way these people view themselves. Mm. Um so, that, that was kind of compelling. And there's also just a, a hilarious part, because he's the person who owns the Airbnb, and when he discovers the the secret route, uh, there's, like, secret passages in, like, a secret basement network of tunnels. Like, instead of being like, oh, man, this shit real shady, he's like, ooh... I can measure it out and have this square footage added to the list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> classic rumour. Yeah, the,
1: the real, the real monster. <laughs> yeah, he's like. Um, oh, also, he's like, he's also a landlord. So yeah, that's that's another that's another thing against them.
0: They should have sold that as the monster. It's not barbarian. It's simply landlord. Um, <laughs> cool. So I mean, I'm not much of a horror guy. I really, you know, I. It's not necessarily down to disliking horror. Um, I think it's just like I just don't really watch it at all. Um, and uh, I I don't feel like it's something that I like but I don't watch it long enough to actually do it you've said it kind of doesn't go for a lot of classic horror tropes and that it's kind of entertaining and also sounds incredibly unsettling um, do you think it's worth me watching as someone who doesn't watch horror or do you think I would still there's other things I should watch first than barbarian
1: uh, I actually think in a sense that you would benefit from it because it's more like a it's more like a uh switches between typical horror genres every like half hour or so so you get like a a little uh, buffet of different different sort of thematic styles and stuff like that so yeah i think um for someone who doesn't watch a lot of it you would get a lot more from it uh, I, to be honest i don't watch a lot of horror either because it usually doesn't do much for me uh but i think this had enough stuff working underneath the scenes to like give you stuff to think about there was more there was more deliberateness to it rather than just trying to provide jump scares it was trying to say something as well
0: that the landlords are the real monsters uh not the what is the what is the where does the barbarian come into it why is it called barbarian
1: Um. um i'm not even really sure why it's called barbarian beyond like you'd be like oh is the is the barbarian us i guess like the human society like um i think it's more of a tile picked to not give anything away before you go into the film maybe
0: i was really hoping that the monster was like conan the barbarian like a kind of like a neanderthal style man that's been trapped in the sewers for like hundreds of years um (laughs) that would have been incredible
1: um i'm not entirely far off of it like
0: okay cool well that's interesting Cool, so a bit of Barbarian, uh, and we should probably try and educate ourselves on some more Bill Skarsgård, because, uh, I don't know, Big big Bill, one, one of his brothers, I think Alexander, is in the not-new series of Atlanta. I actually watched the new series of Atlanta, I should have talked about it, it's very good, it's very funny, uh, continues to be brilliant, uh, and there's a really good therapy session as well in there, which is, is very effective, but also hilarious. Um but in there, his brother, Alexander Skarsgård. Like the Skarsgårds are kind of like this acting dynasty. There's like adult Skarsgård. I think it's Storin Skarsgård. Oh, what's his name? Um, the elder Skarsgård is something like that. And he's a really big actor. And then there's like a bunch of other... Storan Skarsgård, or his name is. There's a ton of Skarsgårds just knocking about. All three of the brothers are like kind of big actors. So, uh, yeah, lots of Skarsgårds. One of them was Tarzan. Um, the Swedish worse. Yeah, although... I would. I wish one of the Skarsgård's was Geralt and not one of the Hemsworths. Um, oh my God! Yeah. Rest in peace, <laughs> poor poor Mr. Henry Cavill. Um, and talking about Henry Cavill, <laughs> we have our last anime today. Is it? Uh, no, it's not. We actually have more anime. I can't believe it. Uh, Kevin, Kevin can go fuck himself. Uh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Kevin can go fuck himself is a forty-minute comedy drama show about. Where it's like uh, split into two parts. Like ha- some of the scenes will be like the traditional uh, single camera comedy with you know bright lighting, laugh track, humorous jokes about the you know dumb, fat, lovable husband who's always getting up to shenanigans, uh, and about the put upon wife uh, who decides that she can't tolerate him anymore and needs to kill him. Uh, the first season was about her disastrous attempt to do just that. And then, unfortunately, because they, and quite luckily, I guess, they were told they were only getting a second season. So the second season's about just trying to wrap that up. Where she changes her focus instead, faking her death. Mm. And dealing with like the fallout of nearly being, ca- well, very nearly being caught. Because at the end of the first season, Kevin's best friend realises what she's trying to do. And uh, it's only through the intervention of her, the best friend's sister, who is um, Alison's core cohort in the murder plot. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the the second season. I think it suffered a little from having to finish something I don't think they originally wanted to tell in just two seasons. So some things were underdeveloped, but some things uh, um, some things were a bit rushed because they had to kind of, instead of just sort of vaguely alluding to it, they kind of had to show the ways in which uh, the Kevin character was toxic to not just Alison, but
0: everyone around yeah. him.
1: So you kind of had to like do that at, like eighty miles per hour rather than the speed they maybe originally had to like tease it out. Uh, but the, I think they do a pretty excellent job of doing that and keeping it funny. Um. Yeah. Because. Because. Oh,
0: sorry, I talked over you, but I was. So, uh, no, no, go you fast, go first. Cool. Fantastic. So what I was going to say is, I heard someone else kind of talk a little bit about this, and they said it's like looking at actually the male leads of traditional sitcoms are actually really really toxic people for the purpose of humor um do you think watching this will make you look at sitcom leads differently um,
1: oh 100
0: like it it's just it
1: really just shows how sort of like evil the whole man baby uh like comedy lead is just kind of not funny like it's you are making the people around you suffer and it's not funny it's like it's funny when you put a laugh track on it in fact there's a really effective scene at the end of season two where for the first time uh where at the end uh allison comes back from where she's run away to uh to deal with things once and for all and she goes to see kevin and, and uh reveals she's still alive And then tells him that she's just she wants a divorce. She wants to, you know, face him down. And it's the first time he's outside of the sitcom scenes. He it's now he's framed in the way the the gritty drama scenes are done. And a lot of his lines are just the same lines that he normally says. But without the laugh track, everything is just so sinister about it. Like there was always that undertone to those scenes before, but it's just a it's a, it's a, it's a scarily effective scene. Like if you hated him before, which I did, you hate him so much more after, and it's just it a really slimy and because not not just like the the sitcom lead. It's just you realize that you know people like Kevin, like oh, in real life, rough. like. Um, even if he is, like, turned up to 11. um, Just the way he tries to control people by, like, keeping them down.
0: I mean, I, I was going to ask if there was any sitcom leads you thought of while watching it, but if it's, like, people in real life, you probably don't necessarily uh, want to say the people in real life who are toxic controlling people uh, on the podcast, <laughs> but um, was there any sitcom leads that you immediately, it kind of made you think, oh, this is, like, you know, what's his face? Uh the guy from um I don't know. What's that uh really, really bad one with Kevin What's His Face? Uh, uh no, it's killing me. King of Queens. I don't know why I thought of King oh, of Queens. Oh,
1: I was I was actually about to suggest that even if I don't know who Kevin is. Uh I'm not I think he's I think they used characters like that as the blueprint. But to be honest, you can see it even in uh, other characters who are presented much more... Like, to be honest, even characters like Jake Peralta from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm. It's like, there is colours of that in that he is, well, a man-baby who makes things more difficult for everyone around him because he refuses to mature in any way. Uh, but he's also kind of mean to Boyle, like his best yeah. friend, like Kevin. So it's like it's not a one-to-one thing but there' you realize that a lot of these tropes that are presented is not just humorous but sort of like the the, the main character is always considered a kind of noble character in the end like everyone loves them uh, it's like but maybe having to deal with that kind of person in real life ain't as fun like and i think that's the thesis of the show anyway
0: they're uh, the noble, good people, but they always have to be the biggest man in the room and the smartest man in the room at all times. Um, you know, in that way, like if you look at, like Seinfeld, for example, that's what Jerry is. He's always the the person who's on top of things. He's always the straight man, uh, and then the crazy people happen around him. Um, but yeah, no, sorry. And the reason I thought of uh, King of Queens is because the actor who plays the King of Guy and King of Queens is called Kevin James. Um, so I guess that's why I thought of Kevin uh, when, obviously. Yeah.
1: No, I, I think I think he was I think that show was deliberately one of the influences for this show. So I That's think that cool. is actually the reason okay. you
0: picked Kevin. That's really interesting. Um, okay, then Kevin can go f- fuck himself. I don't know why I keep uh, thinking if I should swear or not. Of course we can swear. We're explicit on iTunes. Um, we can do whatever <laughs> we want. We can say cool things. Um, but I, it sounds really intriguing. Like I've heard it kind of said. as it like swaps vast uh, massively between kind of like an AMC drama like a crime drama almost and then also between like Mm a standard before an audience uh comedy which i think sounds incredible and the bit you're talking about where he's finally outside of the comedy and he's like a, a really sinister being sounds kind of amazing it sounds really really fun um i think yeah and i like that it's only two seasons as well yes it's a bit faster but it means it's pretty consumable i guess it's easy to watch Um, i
1: think it would have benefited if they'd known going in that they were only going to get two seasons i think they could have paced it better because it's more like the first season is a bit slower compared to the second Mm. season um i still think they did a really good job wrapping it all up and uh it's more the ways in which uh, the second season doesn't entirely service things it's like it's more like they had to cut down some of the plots a bit like focus more on certain characters than others like uh, in the first season there's a, a a character who she's she went to high school with and then sort of has an affair with during the season but he gets pushed basically to the sidelines for the second season because you can't service everyone yeah. and I do think in, in general despite that they, they focused on the right relationships like um, uh, Annie Murphy and uh, Mary Hollis Indebin oh, I cannot pronounce that, but they're the the two in cohorts throughout this uh, two seasons, and their relationship is really what's at the heart of it. Like they do both do a fantastic job of like. Yeah. being sort of soulmates while being like partners in crime it's great
0: it's i like it a kind lot kind of bonnie and clyde kind of thing um yeah yeah that's cool okay so yeah it's kevin can go fuck himself sounds like a lot of fun uh, i love my sitcoms so i think it sounds pretty funny to watch just to kind of look at the sitcoms a bit differently although i don't really watch that many of those i guess i watched brooklyn 99 which i felt kind of really met its demise in the wake of the police stuff towards the end um And kind of also makes me think, wow, why did I ever like these police people Um, (laughs) during the the actual run of the (laughs) season? Um, But cool. Uh, We have some Evangelion to talk about, as you mentioned. But I think actually we're going to come back to that because we're going to have a proper talk about it towards the end. Because I imagine we'll have a lot to talk about. I haven't seen the Evangelion movie that you've seen. I've only seen the end of Evangelion. Have you seen the end of Evangelion
1: yet? I still
0: have Then that's watched. hilarious. Um, I, need to, I need to just
1: watch it because I just need to knock it out. It'll be the last Evangelion thing. I actual need to see. end
0: of Evangelion. Then we'll, we'll be coming at it from vastly different places, I think, which will be kind of fun. Um, but cool, let's talk about some video games. So, on the podcast over the last few episodes, I think two episodes, I was eating away at Umineko, uh, and I finally uh, finished it all in one um, and managed to get it down me. And uh, I'm not going to add too much more than what we already talked about, other than the fact that. Uh, I did really, really like, I think, the second to last episode, I think, was uh, probably one of the strongest ones, Uh, although all had really, really strong elements to it. I thought the last episode wasn't as good as the previous ones, even though I found it very enjoyable, uh, just because I think they tried to do something very different, um, and they did do something very different, but, like, for example, the gameplay segments weren't exactly that engrossing. Um, I did really like the bit where you solved a murder mystery. That was great. Um, and I mean kind of what you were doing throughout in some capacity um, but I, I thought that you didn't have a lot of the really emotional high moments that you had in a lot of the other places and I think that Umineko as a visual novel and as an experience it is at its strongest where it's not glorifying the fantasy for the sake of fantasy like it is not a particularly engrossing battle fantasy it is not a particularly engrossing magic story it is an engrossing mystery of which the way in which that surfaces and bears itself to the reader is magic and fighting. Like the subtext is the reason why all these scenes are enjoyable. And I think towards the end of it, it just goes full in on the subtext becoming text to the point where it's kind of like, all the stuff that is happening, this is good because it's good. And unfortunately it's not that good. Um but the bits that are good are the bits that use it as an analogous point of view to look at it through a different lens to take the surreal and the magical as a perfectly valid way of understanding what is the real uh, and actually calling into question if it's really important to understand what's really happening if at all in the first place and unfortunately it bears its fangs in the capacity of like it is just purely fantasy there's not really anything else happening and if there is it's kind of you can kind of go and say oh this is happening or this is happening in the real world but it's you're dragged so into the event horizon of the fantasy elements in that last in that last segment and it glorifies it for such a long period of time that i didn't enjoy as much as the previous segments but that's not necessarily a disservice to it because i enjoyed the previous segments so much some of the highs are like unbelievably affecting and it's an incredibly thought-provoking and interesting piece of work in that it really does make me reconsider a lot of things that I had previously thought. And it's not often a piece of uh, work that allows you to see you through a different lens and actually think about things that are important to you. It made me think a lot about truth in media and truth in, you know, in anything and how important truth is to various people. Um, and like, why is it so important that you have to be right um, about the universe or write about a murder mystery or write about something that happens um it grapples with a lot of stuff that i think you can look at it in a lot of various different ways and i'd highly recommend it to everyone i kind of wish they'd cut the fat a bit i would really like it to be a shorter thing where they would have less battles and less random fantasy bits because they're not that good but the actual murder bits are fantastic.
1: yeah i remember um, when when you were going through it anytime there was like a because you'd often message me while you were mm-hmm. playing And I I loved getting those messages, but any time there was a battle sequence, you were like, "Fuck, not another one of
0: these!" Like, because you don't want to miss anything.
1: And they weren't—they 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 weren't my my favorite bits either. Often, but like, I I don't think I hated them anywhere near as much. So long,
0: like it's just people going like, (laughs) "Now I have a battle coefficient of 1.56, and that multiplies it by two. And I think it's trying to be funny. Like, it's presented in a way that's amusing, that's, like, whimsical. And there is a lot of excellent whimsy that's used to contrast some of the darker moments. Like, Ryokushio7 said that he believes strongly before anything bad happening that something so good of a proportionate amount has to happen. And that's a very common writing technique. You know, positives and negatives ebb and flow to create contrast between the two. And so to the point where you know if there a certain music track's playing and something nice is happening, you know someone's dying um, in a really bad way in the scene afterwards. But I think the use of humor in that capacity spends way too long in the humor segment and only a few seconds in the really horrible segment afterwards to the point where these kind of humorous, jokey battle segments they really just did me in. I did not enjoy them. Uh, but then it, things got cool again, and then we, you know, we're back in a good place. And overall, it's still an absolutely fantastic and very satisfying experience. I really enjoyed a lot of it, um, and I just wish there was a little bit less of the battle stuff, for sure. Um.
1: Yeah, there are some there are some walls of text, particularly in things like the battles, that could have done with some trimming. Because um, it's like the thing I, I really like about it is it's not a flawless work but it's one that wears its heart so much on its sleeve that i forgive i i could forgive a lot more than what needs to be forgiven
0: it innit? absolutely to the point of complete uh, to to the to the end feels like it is a thing made by a person it is not made by committee it's not made by corporation it feels like it is made by a person and that is something that is actually surprisingly rare in video games these days i think um And that deserves praise, even if at times it is not what I would have wanted, but I mean, that's completely fine, I think. Uh, I mean, I think overall it's probably one of the best visual novels I've ever read. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I thought the, the byline was amazing. I really enjoyed the process of kind of figuring stuff out and messaging you with things as well, even though I was hilariously wrong or like various different ways. It was still very, very fun. I maybe wasn't as sharp at understanding how people actually got murdered as I could have been, I think. Uh, and it is definitely introduced in a very cryptic way, but I still think that's really nice. I like that it doesn't go the whole way to telling you everything and you there's still a little bit of a journey and a bit of a relationship between you and the murder because you still have to do a bit of the work yourself. And that's kind of nice. That's uh, There's a really nice relationship between the writer and the reader um, that I think is preserved and it's also part of the story. So i think to anyone who wants to read a visual novel i would recommend this i think you have to trudge through some hoops uh to be able to get it in its best form but i am in for the ryukishi train i've already bought uh the rest of his work pretty much every single thing he's ever done that's in english um and i'm gonna play all of them and i'm gonna tell you about them on this very same podcast so looking forward to that very enjoyable
1: Uh, and we are we're both very excited for the announcement that Ryukishi
0: Seven is making
1: the new si- well, well, one of the
0: new Silent, Silent Hill. Silent Hill F, I think it's called. Uh, right? Yep. Very cool. That's right. Setting in certain kind of a rural Japanese setting. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward I hope they get to allow him to be as uh, ungovernable and as untapped as he possibly can be. That would be fantastic. Um yeah, very good. I've i I've read a lot of visual novels this week. Uh, I have another visual novel that is also incredibly highly... Oh, uh, before we yes. go
1: we'll on go to that, I believe you and I have talked about doing an Umi Neko special where we go much more spoilery and into detail about what we love about it. We absolutely
0: should it. do that. Maybe maybe we should do that.
1: Don't yes. don't know 100% what form it's going to take, but watch out for that on our feed. Yeah, we
0: should talk about that. Uh, we will take this offline, but maybe we could... Uh, yeah. A Umineko special would be... That's why to tease that for people. Cheeky, cheeky. Okay, we'll make that happen. That'll be fun, I think. Uh, Umaneko special coming to your ear holes uh, sometime soon. Um, We've also got (laughs) some more visual novels that I have uh, read. A very highly acclaimed one, The House in Fata Morgana. Uh, I actually read this one to read the DLC expansion that I bought in a recent sale that I also have not read. A Requiem for Innocence. Uh, but i've read the entirety of the original and some of requiem for innocence and i'll I'll, tr- I'll get through the rest of it when i stop playing marvel snap all the time um and house of fatah i thought was fantastic uh, what it is it is a kind of spooky romance tragedy that takes place in a house that has a number of other inhabitants it kind of imagines the house as being um something of a monster in itself it's the house that ruins people's lives. Uh, And the maid uh, and custodian of the house tells you some stories about these people who have befell terrible tragedies at the hands of the house and in the house. And as thus, when you walk through it, they have kind of this history. And she talks to you about how they've met their demise. And um, those particular little tableau stories, I think are actually some of the best parts of the, the whole thing. Like the first four chapters are just these stories of other people. And in learning about these other people, you kind of understand who the maid is and who you are uh, through their stories and and what the house is. And those are very evocative. They're very interesting. Uh, And as you start to explore them more, you find out the kind of the personal, very immediate relationship between the two. There's kind of like a romance, which is fantastic. And that concludes about the halfway point. So I think it's like chapter 10 or something is the halfway point and then the last chapter is gigantic. And when you get to that halfway point, that is an incredible piece of work. It really is good. And I think it's not good in a way that I believe is in in a format that you've never seen before. Like I think it is kind of like, it's a very competently told story in a way that I think is really good, but it's not like, there's nothing that I think is like, this is incredibly risky. Uh, but the way in which it is told and the mastery it's told and the music and the visuals all lead to, I think, a really, really special experience that you will feel something about, but it isn't as outlandish as all the visual novels that I've read, like Umineko. Uh, There's no, it's not really outlandish, but it's incredibly competent and very interesting. And if it was to end there, I would rank it as one of the best visual novels I've ever read. And I still think I will. The last half is about a different character and unfortunately, my personal stakes to do with that character weren't anywhere near as close as they had built up on the previous 10th chapters about the, the maid and the, uh, you, the person um, who you're playing from the, the, kind of, uh, the protagonist, I guess. And as a result, it felt really aimless and I didn't like it as much, um, but I still think it was okay. And it ends well, it ends well, even if it meanders and it takes a while to get there and it's not quite as evocative, it still ends in a good place. And I still think it's well worth reading. I I do like it. Um, And I will read The Requiem for Innocence. Um, As a quick aside as well, the core game as a PC exclusive has something called Backstage, which the characters from the visual novel uh, introduce a developer commentary through the jokes that the developers had about the characters, which is very weird and incredibly meta so that is worth playing. That's so It's very surreal. <laughs> strange. But you, he welcomes back all the characters. Then the characters talk about where they came in the popularity polls, what it was like developing for them, what ethos the developers wrote them with, and what kind of things they wanted to hit and if they were successful or not through the voices of the characters in a story. Very strange, but interesting. Um, so overall, I can totally see why this is such a big deal. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a great, great visual novel, and I would recommend anyone read
1: Although, it. Although, um, uh, small aside, uh about umineko but uh do you remember a bit where lambda delta complains about coming low in the popularity rankings uh after that one after making that complaint and then when another poll was held she actually saw a significant
0: bump of course she did (laughs) Um,
1: people felt bad
0: but uh, lambda delta (laughs) and ben castle kind of exist Outside of the realms of uh, having to be uh, kind of chained by the fourth wall, um, so I mean that's, that's kind of great also um, well that is funny uh, I, I, I like that it's in a kind of separate section, like a developer like I love developer commentaries. I do miss them uh, from games, mm. like all the valve games used to have great ones where you can hear Gab New all kind of talking random stuff. Um, but this was great, and it was a really interesting way to do it so excited to see if the current one I'm playing, which is a kind of a separate game called Requiem for Innocence, if that has one too. There is more uh, kind of House and Flatter Morgana related games, but none of them are as good as these two. I've heard that just the core game and Requiem for Innocence are really good. Even if Requiem for Innocence focuses on a character that I don't like as much, I've still heard it's very good, and I'm going to continue doing it. And I think as a, as a, as a romance tragedy, it's kind of great. Uh, it, it really is a, a good piece of work. I do like it. So yeah, that's where I am with that. You're probably going to give it a go. So with uh, At some point, right?
1: Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to give it a go. I just... Um, yeah, I just... I need to get back into the visual novel mood again. Like I played a bunch of them in a row and then needed a wee break. But I think that'll be the one I'll go back to when I do go back. Uh, with like... Uh, how How does it hold up as like a horror, or is it even really a horror like so the story?
0: Yeah, it kind of gives the game away a little bit, but the tableau stories are very horror um but those stories are fantasizations of the truth um they are they have truth in them, as all stories do um but it takes a meandering path to get to what actually happened, and so the lens of horror of which it is shoved through is a way of kind of, um, it's a way of kind of rationalizing and explaining what actually happened, which while horrific is not horror. Um, so while it does seem horror centric at the start, and I think very competent uh it does not stay it becomes something as slightly different i still wish the game had finished at the halfway point like after there is kind of a point of which the player characters get resolved and then they seek to resolve something else and i think if it had ended there i would have died happy i think that would have been fantastic but it does keep on going and i think like by the time you get to the end of it you'll probably have forgotten that it even had any horror in it to begin with um okay uh other question is the house a
1: character of its own in any respect yes the titular house oh that's cool because i was gonna say when you were describing it a little earlier it made me think of uh are you familiar at all with the novel the house of i'm not
0: uh please explain
1: um Uh, it's just a horror novel about a house that is got something wrong with it The, the the way they do it is like the book is like a collection of notes of people who are familiar with the house or there's like a documentary about the house and yeah like the house is very much a force and a character and the source of the horror is the unnaturalness of the house it's a fantastic book but i was just like i was like oh it'd be really cool if maybe not in the same way but like the location is much of it like it is the title of the story but it may just be a backdrop but that's very cool that it is very much part of the well, story Well, so the
0: interesting thing about the house of fata morgana is or the house in fata morgana is fata morgana is it, it obviously means uh, morgan morgan's house who is a witch uh in kind of you know Arthurian legend uh, as you'll know But a Fata Morgana is also what is used for the illusion that you see when you're looking out at sea and you think there is something on the edge of the waves, but there isn't, it's just a refraction of light and on the horizon. Uh, And so it is an illusion that stops you from kind of looking out onto the ocean. And so it was always said in old times to be a witch's house that exists, but actually it's not. It's just a a phenomena that can be explained in modern science. Um, And in that way, the house itself contains illusions it contains stories of the people that lived there throughout the ages Uh, but it also contains an actual witch and the witch is explained fairly early on in reference to Uh, there is a witch in the house Morgana, uh, and that is the characterization of the house is the house as the witch Uh, and so there is kind of this um, they talk about the witch but the witch is kind of part and parcel with the house so when i talk about the character of the house the house doesn't really have a character per se but it's personified in this witch that does have a character um it's difficult to explain without spoiling it um but you will see a lot of illusions of witches and what the witches represent with regards to the tales in the house which is cool uh and also a really weird thing to play after Umaneko. um but good. A very, very different kind of witch. Um, So yeah, I did really enjoy it and it's very emotional and also has some really tender moments. I love a good romance uh, and this does have some good romance elements. I think the comedy is very flat. Uh, It also has one of my least favorite things, which is the phrase chomping at the bit is spelt C-H-A, champing at the bit. However, they use it five or six times and spell it chomping and it does my head in. (laughs) <laughs> um but i'll i'll I'll, I'll go no, away with that I mean you know it's a small thing uh, but it, it also ruined my life so um <laughs> <laughs> apart from that uh, still really competently told creme de la creme of of, of of you know if if i think in umen echo is kind of i wouldn't recommend that to anyone looking to get into visual novels it is a really quiet taste, i think. Um, even though I think you'll find a lot to enjoy, I think I wouldn't be like, you should play him in Echo, just a random person on the street. I think if you are more traditionally involved with kind of, you know, spooky stories and romance, I think you can get a lot out of this as well. The art style is like super Western and the music is really good as well. So, like, I think it's like, as a package, it's like the best normie kind of watershed visual novels that i could i could get them to give before they dive into whatever else we choose to give them um it's a it's the best introduction to visual novel especially if you like the gothic kind of spooky stuff uh then it has some of that and then go somewhere else with it and that's great too it is very good also um i'm gonna wait till you play it but it has some stuff that i would love to talk about with you on the podcast as well because i think you'll dig it there's some good cool twists and places it goes so I think you'll like that. And we have some more visual novels. Uh, I've played the original and the sequel, which the original is milk inside a bag of milk inside a bag of milk. And the sequel is milk outside a bag of milk outside a bag of milk. These are visual novels. They are made by one man. I think the original was made by one dude. And it is kind of like a really like divid kind of weird purple text adventure with some really strange visuals and really odd music that lasts 20 minutes and it is about a person who is trying to go to the shop to get a bag of milk but is so heavily medicated for their anxiety which invades their mind in a very real way that they fail to really be able to do this simple task and kind of imagine horrors and horror stuff around them that, uh, in a really interesting way, uh, with their mother being the scariest thing possible because she keeps trying to inject them with medicine, which messes them up. Uh, The second one takes what was a really, really bare bones game and actually makes it kind of cool. The art style's cool, the music is much longer. It's a much longer game. There's a lot more gameplay and a lot more endings uh, and it becomes kind of interesting. Uh, I think it's a very inexpensive game. I think if you're going in with something like, I want to play something weird, that's not very expensive, and is a little scary, then I think you're going to have a good time and the music's really cool. Uh, it's I think it's mainly good because it's weird, not because it's like an incredible piece of storytelling. Um, but it still was fun and it was so weird and different that I came away really enjoying it, to be honest. So I I did like it nowhere near as competent or as really like a great piece of work like the other two visual novels I talked about, but if you like strange horror, it is strange horror and the mum is legitimately terrifying. Um, That's it. I mean, uh,
1: when I was reading up on it, it seemed like it dealt with some very heavy themes of like abuse and mental health. Do you feel like it was done in a way that? Understood those things or respected those
0: things? I or? think so. Unfortunately, did it didn't no, dance, no, it did around, not dance it. around it. It went deep. Uh, trigger warnings, massive trigger warnings if you're playing this game, but it says them at the start. So, I mean, um, it deals in a very weird way, in a very, very strong way, and it talks about them a lot. Unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, I guess, it's done through the perspective of the person telling the story, and the person telling the story is incredibly unwell. Um, to the point where even though it talks about the very serious things that are happening it's really difficult to make head or tails of them because they are so mentally warped that it's very difficult to really grapple with them properly so you can read into those kinds of things but uh, these you know until you until you take your tablets it's very difficult to be able to actually talk about these things and then when you do take your tablets everything's kind of changed to the point where it's it's very, very difficult. The Observer is an incredibly unreliable narrator and an ununderstandable understandable narrator. So it makes it kind of difficult to really grapple with them fully because you're chasing shadows uh, for a lot of the time and it's talking in an incredibly strange and meandering way. Um, it is an incredibly weird game, but I did kind of enjoy it. Like uh, the mum who is the monster is just trying to inject them with medicine to be able to control their anxiety or control their psychosis um and so a lot of the gameplay is based around medication and taking medication um, which is interesting um yeah weird game but interesting Uh, and also like music's really creepy and cool um and made by mostly by one person so that's kind of cool and talking about games Uh, No, they're not made by one person, but it's also an indie game, Graveyard Keeper. Dave, what's that?
1: Graveyard Keeper is... uh, The way I've been describing it is it's spooky Stardew Valley in that you are given uh, a graveyard to manage, which is you know, it's a lot of fun, the same way like Stardew is, you get like a bunch of mini-goals to like pull you forward like you're just, you know making the initial graves, you open up the church uh, you get to know some of the townspeople although unlike Stardew Valley they're, they are all paper thin and it's mostly more humorous than, it, uh, than Stardew's more serious, relaxed nature is uh it also reminds me a little of things like... Hmm, I haven't actually played it, but that style of game in Factorio where it's more about building production lines. Like, uh, you know, you, you early on you cut down trees, which leads to furnaces, which leads to steel making, which leads to, you know... Um, more advanced rock mining techniques which allows you to make marble for your graveyard. And, and early on I was really enjoying it. Like, it, it would like... I think I put like maybe like 10 hours in where I was just... I always had a goal ahead of me. Like, a new thing to research or a new quest to complete. But when you hit a certain point where what is needed to complete those quests requires you to put so much effort in like it was just like i was I, I put the game down and i've not gone back to it since i may still go back to it but it was yeah asking a little too much of grinding for me
0: how's that kind that of point. twiddling optimization podcast gameplay where you're just kind of like doing stuff um i I have friends Absolutely. who,
1: are super... I literally was listening to podcasts while playing. I have it. a
0: friend who uh, is really into their Factorio, and it is all that kind of optimization. But it is kind of beautiful when you get it all there; like it's very kind of, um, you know, sends out all the right chemicals that you need for your brain. If you like that kind of thing, uh, but I mean, it's not uh, incredibly worthwhile thing in and of itself. You know, um, we kind of talked that it's kind of like a spooky stargy valley. Do you feel like it m- feels made by a committee? Or does it have its own distinct soul to the game?
1: Hmm. I feel like it was made by a committee, but more in the respect that I feel like it was a game that was in early access at one point. And it was a game that was driven by like, what maybe like the community who were playing it wanted. Because uh, it, it just feels like a lot of the things were... hacked on to pre-existing things like the different levels of like graveyard decorations it felt like those were sort of like added in in a way where it wasn't given thought to the gameplay that's why i mean it's like cause it's not as it's not as complicated as something like factorio but it feels like you are just building production lines production lines that you have to be a lot more involved in there is a degree of automation in that i think you can like use zombies to do some of this stuff for you but i haven't i, I never unlocked that while i was playing i don't know how to unlock it i don't want to look up guides
0: and you shouldn't have to like i think if you need to look up a guide that means it's kind of a, like i think that's kind of a failing if you have to you know you should you should have everything in the game um that you need um
1: yeah, uh, I just it in the way other ways it feels like it was maybe built by committees, like for example, kinda like Stardew it has dungeon crawling bits. But if you thought it was already watered down in Stardew, oh boy. It's it's even more watered down here. Like Um You just you just have a sword. That's it. Like, you just you just wave the sword. Um and yeah like it's a game that feels like if there was just a few more things to it like i don't know i feel like if it if it did copy Stardew a bit more it would have been a bit more successful it's just like i enjoyed the quests early on when there was a little bit of mystery but there's not enough answers yeah. keep me going and none of the characters are likable enough for me to want to get to
0: know them and so after the the kind of the novelty of trying stuff out and getting that initial kind of serotonin burst is gone there's nothing to kind of keep you around which is i guess is wasn't necessarily the case with stargy like people loved the whole marriage aspect of it they loved kind of getting to know the townsfolk and helping them out and also like animal crossing which i think is like kind of the predecessor to a lot of these things I mean, obviously, Harvest Moon is the real predecessor, but, like, you know, Animal Crossing's in there. Um, And, obviously, people grow really attached to those characters. Um, It's kind of sad that there's not anything more to keep you around. Um, It is interesting, though. Like, I kind of feel to an extent there's people who love farming games, and there's so many farming games being made. Um, Do you think there is a really big audience for just people who love graveyards? Like other people who see Graveyard Keeper and they're like, finally, okay, <laughs> Graveyard, <laughs> you know?
1: Uh I don't know, like, cause I I've seen it on like uh, Steam pages before and being like, oh, that looks mildly interesting, but like, I've never, I've never wanted to take the plunge. The only reason I did here is because I've it's one of those things that's on the PlayStation subscription service uh and I've, I've said before that the library is pretty rubbish so it was one of the few things that stood out to me um so yeah like i don't think i don't think there's an audience the same way i think this one's a bit more niche i think you kind of want to like if, if like cause like i said like the humor was interesting at first i like the sense of humor that it had but it commits too much to it like if you yeah, if you did if you if you didn't like the sort of like esoteric devil care jokes about you know, the poorness of society or something like that. Like and it's it's that one flavor. For I didn't realise
0: it. it was gonna go there. I thought it would be like, ho ho, that's so funny, it's a graveyard. Not like, ho ho, people are poor in society. <laughs> um that's kind of bizarre
1: it's it's more like it's it's more like the people you interact with like the the people who run the church are like oh you know we've got to get those get got to, got to get the money from the poors and the poors they be dying so you need a graveyard it's like um there, there's one character i kind of like and it's, it's the donkey that brings your uh uh corpses who you know wants to like uh start a workers revolution he's really funny um and it's the only one that was funny in a way that was like I, I did consistently like the new cutscenes with them, um, unlike the others where it's like oh no, it's just it's just the same bit again, and even with the donkey, it's the same joke again. It's just a joke alike.
0: That's cool. Well, Graveyard Keeper, I guess, is it? Uh, doesn't sound like something you'd recommend I pick up, but I actually already own it on my Steam library. So, um, looks like I already <laughs> did. I haven't played it. I think I got it in a humble, humble set of some kind and I haven't picked it up. Uh, but
1: I-, I think it's a game you could definitely enjoy for a while. It's just, there seems to be an end, like a quest line that you can follow to get to a definitive end, and I just don't think it lasts, the, the interesting parts of the game last long enough to get there. Because yeah. like, I did enjoy my first 10 hours. It's just when I saw a huge grind ahead of me, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna to have to grind out for like multiple hours just to get a little bit of progress. I was like, nah. Fuck but that the up. thing
0: is, like, why even play this one? Like, why play Graveyard Keeper when you can play Stardew Valley or Harvest Moon? Like, you know.
1: Oh, in that respect, yeah, 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 don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, then don't. Like, like, mean, like yeah.
0: You know what? Why play this one? Like, I think um, for me, like, I'm not that into Graveyards. You know, like if the zombies really did it for me and i guess to an extent the automation is kind of cool but we already said we didn't figure out how that worked so what's the point um i i I struggle to really think of a reason to play this in a vacuum Uh, so no not in a vacuum but in the larger context of farming sims in general um
1: there are a series of expansions for the game which i think do probably like fill out the world enough that you can maybe get like more enjoyment out of it like There's one that adds like a tavern that you can run as well, like that just makes things yeah you know a little bit bigger, a little bit deeper. But I wasn't willing to fork out for them, so I don't know what they're like.
0: Why not make Dav? Oh, there is a, there is an expansion called Better Save Soul. Better Save Soul. (laughs) Uh Yeah.
1: Really, I didn't see that it one on the list.
0: Six to twelve hours of extra gameplay. Manage your workbenches directly from the map with a remote craft control. Save souls for the sake of the ancient contract. Uh, it looks like you can put people's souls to work. Um, help your new friend Yurik to fulfill his cherished dream and remove the shard of sin from his soul. In return, he's ready to share a book which contemns knowledge for remote craft control of workbenches. <laughs> Do not go quietly Amazing. into that night. <laughs> Tell people how to remote craft share um, workbenches. Um, very bizarre. Uh, okay, cool. Well, Grivet Keeper, it is a game that's available to buy. Um, you should probably play something else, but maybe you'll like it for the first five or ten hours. Dave. Um, I think the only thing we have left to talk about is uh, Evangelion, and I should have really maybe scheduled this differently because I should have talked about something here that I played. So I'm going to talk a bit about a Marvel Snap. I've been playing Marvel Snap. It is a game that I played for six hours last night. I didn't tell Dave about it, so we probably won't have too much to talk about with it. But I played it so long, it is addictive crack um, that is a lot like a card game called Artifact that was made by um, Richard Garfield and Valve, which was a 45-minute card game of sweating over tiny little numbers. This is like that, but it takes five minutes and you could you have to build a deck out of 10 different heroes from the marvel universe or villains uh and when you do that you choose your 10 favorite people you put them on and then you get three lanes and those lanes are randomized so one of the lanes could be every single thing you play in this lane is immediately destroyed or another one is like everything you play in this lane gets swapped with something else from the lane whenever you play it and those are randomized every single game and there's tons of them so every game is completely different it's only six turns long so it lasts i think five minutes was probably overselling it it literally lasts like a minute to two minutes which is incredible um and everything's really simple i think one of the best mechanics the best part of the game is the titular snap the marvel snap and in those six turns at any point you can snap and if you snap then you double down on what you're betting to play the game so normally if you win a game you get two cubes And those cubes will enable you to go up a rank um, through bronze, through silver, through gold, etc. If you snap, now you're putting up four of these cubes. And if they snap two, you'll put up eight of those cubes. Uh, And so it's kind of a bluffing thing. Like, even if you know you can't win, if you snap, they see you snap and then they can retreat. And if they retreat, they only lose one cube instead of two cubes for losing. Uh but if they snap in return, they Ooh. put up eight cubes basically. So there's like Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean <laughs> then then whoever wins takes everything. Uh, and that's the equivalent of playing basically eight retreats or four normal games. So you can either win big or lose big. Um and I think that in itself makes the game really interesting actually. And in that it's a quite a, it's a very random game, but it only lasts a minute you can go you can really go in and you can bet and you can have that metagame with the other person. You can bluff them. I bluffed someone this morning where I couldn't win and I just went all in and they immediately retreated and I was gonna lose because I had nothing in my hand. But because I went all in they were kinda like, oh no, what's he got? I'm just gonna run away. Um so that in itself, it's a really fun game. It's free. Super certainly super, super interesting as well. It's one of the only card games I've ever played that doesn't have booster packs. And I think this is to unfortunately the way of the booster pack is going the way of the dodo like random selected things that you pay for the people don't like that Belgium don't like Germany don't like China don't like um and unfortunately anyone who brings out a game with those things in it really good at making money really bad at being illegal um and now how they've done it is there is no randomness to the things you get you go uh, when you start playing you collect cards And if you play a card enough times, you can choose to upgrade a card. And when you upgrade a card, you get one special point that goes onto a battle pass. And those battle passes are how you unlock new cards. So the more times you play with the cards you've got, the more cards you get. And therefore, there's not any randomness to the cards you get. If you play enough times, you'll get all the cards. Uh, And the monetization is a separate battle pass that you get after you finish that starter but there's always free stuff to keep doing and keep getting and all the actual cards you get uh, are free completely free and the uh, things you pay for are special uh, alternate cosmetic styles that are prohibitively expensive to compensate so for example the current event that's on at the minute is into the spider verse and it gives you an into the spider verse skin for miles morales and to get that that costs like a tenner but to actually get Mars morales himself the heat, you're going to get him just playing the game normally by the time you finish the tutorial. And there's no gameplay Absolutely differences? Absolutely not. Particular. He just looks like a, he's from Into the Spider-Verse. Um, that's the only difference. That's,
1: that's,
0: that's yeah. good then. No pay the, to win. This game came onto my radar uh, because it is made by Ben Brode uh, and some of the other guys. And Ben Brode was this... Uh, like I don't really believe in this life that people are born to do one thing. Uh, like, you know, you could do anything and you could have done anything and you could be a lot of things. But Ben Brode was born into this life to sell card games. That's what he did. And in Hearthstone, he is an incredibly charismatic large man who laughed at card games and got incredibly excited. And he was the reason why people were excited for Hearthstone when Hearthstone existed. He left, uh, made the deal with Marvel and is now making this. And this feels...
1: Wait, Hearthstone doesn't exist
0: anymore? But it doesn't have Ben Brode. So it doesn't exist anymore. Um, to me I'm not interested in Hearthstone anymore because Ben Brode was one of the reasons I played Hearthstone he's incredibly charismatic Um, and he is involved in making this Marvel game and uh, hilariously when this game launched Dave uh, Hearthstone actually did a a thing to get people to come back where they give you 80 free booster packs if you come back to Hearthstone Um, and so I watched some of my friends open their 80 free booster packs and then log off forever uh, just to go and see them open all their packs which is quite (laughs) fun um but yeah this game I think I would recommend it to anyone just because it really is a good piece of games design. It is a game that now understands what is it that we're making these days? We're making a mobile game that takes a minute to play that still feels skill dependent that still feels interesting and if you like Marvel superheroes you're going to have some Marvel superheroes here. You're going to play with the weirdest and most obscure Marvel superheroes you've ever seen, ones that I've never heard of, but also ones that you've heard of and that's going to be fun. I'm not a big Marvel fan was, uh, have you played with, mineral, played with mineral man, man. yet? Uh, I've played with all kinds of random stuff. God, I ho- God, I
1: hope that I hope that was actually Marvel.
0: Uh, I think so. Uh, Blue yeah, Marvel cool. was one of the ones I've been playing with uh, recently, and I've never heard of him before, but he's a big deal in Marvel. Um, there's loads of various people. Uh, Squirrel Girl is quite a big character in the scheme of things, but she's one of the ones that I've been playing with a lot. The deck I've been playing is just like loads and loads and loads of small guys. Uh, who you, you can put on stuff. So I, I, either, I would recommend Marvel Snap to anyone. Uh, I got recommended it from Ben Broad originally. Chose not to play it because I do not need more things to be addicted to. I already have no more holes on my arms after playing Dota and Magic and all those kind of things. I have to inject myself with the crack. But <laughs> Fee got into it. My friend Fee really, really loved it. Still didn't play it. My friend Chris. Big shit to Chris. Got into it. Still didn't play it. And then I heard about it on the Giant Bomb podcast, and they were saying that it's their game of the week, and they thought it was a great piece of games design that captured the feeling of collecting cards like no other digital thing ever. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And I spent, played it for four hours last night until five in the morning, and I played it for four hours today. Uh, it took over my life for two days, and I need to stop playing it. Um, so, pretty good. Would recommend it. It really is fun. And I, I think everyone should give it a go because it's free. And y- if you don't like it, you'll only spend five minutes and you won't spend any money. So, yeah, it's good. Evangelion, Evangelion. what did you think, Dave?
1: Well, to, to clarify, we're talking about the Rebuild films here. Um, specifically, the one I went to see in the cinema alongside that other anime film from earlier. Uh, was the fourth one, uh, Evangelion 3.0 plus one. It's 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 a ridiculous numbering structure, uh, so ridiculous that I accidentally watched the first uh, ten minutes of the film, uh, that I was supposed to see in the cinema, at home the night before when I was watching the other rebuilds. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, wait, none of this makes sense. Oh, no, wait, I'm watching the fourth one by accident. Because 3.3 was the next one, I think. I don't know. Like I say, ridiculous numbering system. Um, and the fourth film in particular literally felt like a cry for help from Hideki Anno to please stop making him make Evangelion. Like, I, it is up there with uh, films like Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, for films that I thought were pretty terrible, but an amazing experience to watch. Like, particularly towards the climax of the film, I was shaking, trying not to laugh out loud with the absurdity of what was going
0: on. This is so interesting, because I've heard a lot of friends talk about it, and they loved it. Like They felt like... "Mm." I was alone.
1: I was alone. This film got a standing ovation at the end. In a theatre in Scotland? um, Um. In a theatre in Scotland. And the people sitting behind me had uh, a ray plushie that they kept giving compliments to um i and the thing is uh, to, to, to be clear i i really like the evangelion series I, i'm I'm not an evangelion hater here and in fact with the with the rebuilds the first two i really liked and the third one i wasn't huge on but that was mostly because it spent so much time uh with uh kawaru who is a character i just could not care for like Didn't hate the character, but um, wasn't a huge fan either, and him and Shinji's relationship wasn't gay enough to make me interested. Uh, But the fourth one just loses, to me, so many of the things that are strengths of the series, like... Like It opens with a really interesting battle scene with uh, Mari's Unit 8, I think it is, but it was damaged in the last film, so it's having to use this weird gyroscopic system to operate its arms and shoot and stuff. And I was like, damn, that's a really cool battle sequence uh, to open the film with. Uh, but then when we actually get to the climax of the film, the big, epic battle, it's... It feels more like a little kid trying to... Two little kids arguing, trying to one-up each other. There's no clearly defined rules to the battle. The characters just keep talking nonsense about things that they're supposed to not understand, but then clearly do. Uh the villain's plan is in the last film it was revealed oh no gendo planned us to do this all along we thought we were doing our we thought we were working against them but we did what he wanted and i'm like in fact to to my friend connor who i went to see it with who again guy who was on the show big up connor
0: big up yourself um
1: connor. i was uh giving i was giving him my live reaction to the the rebuilds as i was uh, watching the first three and i was like they should really stop trying to out evangelion gendo and just seal team six him like out evangelion is a mistake like (laughs) like and they do it again they like literally like the the final battle is them continually going oh shit we just did what he wanted and then they do it again. Like they're like, this time we'll show him. And it's like, stop it! You just keep doing what he wants. <laughs> like, and it's stuff like, oh, the the ship that they had in the third one, because they have this battleship that's been built, and they're like, oh, it's unique because it uses the corpse of Lilith to be able to do the anti gravity thing to make it fly it's completely unique and then in the next film they're like actually Gendo has four of them <laughs> and actually it's even worse than that they're like first when the, when it first shows up they go ah Gendo does have one of these and then they keep getting ambushed by another one and it's only when the fourth one points out that they're like oh yeah they, they had four it's like why were you not prepared for this then why why were you surprised each time you got ambushed like oh it just loses all sense of coherence to the battles to what people are doing uh that it just made the it feel weightless it, it's kind of like a marvel battle scene in that like people just like shoot lasers and punch each other and say things like oh no if we don't you know close the rift then all of humanity is going to be destroyed or something like it didn't have a strong sense of what they were doing like it didn't like say the first rebuild film where they did the do you remember in the series the angel that they have to beat with the giant rifle and they have to like work together and they have to like get the country to work together and it's like damn it's it's a really great battle. Like but that's because they establish the parameters of what makes it work. Whereas now there are no parameters, there's just people going, shit like uh, ah, the book of Revelation's power level seventy thousand. We need a fourth spear, which we'll make from a spine. Like, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that makes sense." And I'm like, "No, it doesn't. Like, you've never discussed this before. You've all, you're, you're introducing things as they happen, and then introducing the rev- resolution right away. It's like that's not interesting. Like, even Dragon Ball Z fights make more sense than
0: this." But I think that's <laughs> also because, like, Evangelion was never meant to be a. About the fight scenes, to an extent, it's not like a traditional mecha anime. But that's one of the things that people wanted the most from the new endings, right? Like, um, Evangelion has three endings, and you have seen two of them, right? Uh, so yep. do you think that you actually liked it worse than the completely nonsense original ending of Evangelion? Um, like, do you-
1: well the the thing that's kind of annoying is they kind of do that anyway, like, cause. After this battle to save the world, they go into this uh, sort of dreamscape god reality thing where Shinji shows down with his father through conversation. And that's actually one of the highlights of the film, even if it is a bit like men will, you know, destroy all of humanity to unite it together rather than go to therapy kind of thing. <laughs> uh but it was very reminiscent of the original series where things just sort of became wild and strange and metaphorical so they were trying to do that as well um and yeah like i don't think they did it as well like people like uh the person i went to see well connor was like uh well i really liked it. it was like him sort of like having a conversation with his father and it's like but uh, for me, it was like, it didn't tell us anything we didn't already know. Gendo wants to see his wife. Gendo wasn't close to Shinji. It's like, I didn't learn anything new from it. Like... yeah, I... All all that was different is Shinji's grown up a bit. And it's like... Which was, which was good, don't get me wrong. It's just like, I just don't think that's
0: as climactic as it could be. Yeah, it would have been nice for Shinji to actually be the one driving that conversation and to, you know... <laughs> I guess that kind of that posthumous forgiveness um, of his father in some ways uh, would have been kind of uh, cathartic in some w- in in a way, but it's what he's kind of been chasing throughout the case of like the entire series is his father's approval, anyone's approval really. Um, I don't know if you want to give him that or if you want him to be like, no, you'll never get it, and it's worth not worth chasing. Um, Actually saying and these things and like actually having a cogent point has never been Evangelion's strong suit, which makes it sad to me that there's an attempt, like you were saying, in the combat and uh, a lot more kind of dictation. Uh, because I one thing I kind of like about Eva- End of Evangelion is it is complete nonsense. It is bleak, horrendous nonsense. But I like it. Like, it's not trying to be a film and trying to be really out there or trying to be that cogent it just is a bunch of stuff and i actually kind of like that and i know that sounds like a really weird and very uh barbaric way of describing something but it's like it's not it's just stuff and i liked it (laughs) like i don't think evangelion is this hugely deep piece of media that really redefines how we look at the world um it's you know
1: i mean yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, because like, uh, a lot of the iconic imagery from the original series was just stuff that they thought looked cool. Um, although, one of the things that uh, I think is uh, misrepresented, uh, I was reading about, was that people are like, oh, they got a lot of their image from like Christian imagery, but they didn't know what it was. Uh, I believe that's not actually, strictly speaking, true. Apparently, it's because they were uh, influenced really heavily by an anime called Ultra Ultraman. Man, okay, yes. And Ultraman was made by a very Christian creator who put the imagery in deliberately. So it's kind of funny that they've been influenced by something that was deliberately trying to look Christian. So I, I don't know. I think that's funny. Um, I think one of like the weaknesses about the fourth film as well is in a lot of respects it felt like a response to the criticism of the film yeah. that came before it. Because do you remember the yeah. character of Kaiji? Um, he's, he's in the rebuilds, uh, but between the... Because at the end of the second rebuild film, uh, the third impact happens. So the third and fourth films are all like 14 years in the future. Humanity is barely around, trying to save the day. Uh, but Kaiji's not in the third film. Uh, he doesn't get mentioned at all. <laughs> and it felt like somebody complained about that on a forum somewhere and then it's like, fuck, I've got to address that. And now suddenly everyone's talking about him. Everyone can't shut up about him and how important he was. Apparently he was the one who stopped the third impact from fully happening. It's like, uh, you can do that so we don't need to be putting children into these Evangelions? <laughs> Like That was an option? He's also the guy who was responsible for the ship they have, for creating the anti- uh, fuck, nerve organi- organization. And it's like, fuck man he's just suddenly become like evangelion jesus like people who did not know him talk about him in like reverential hushed tones and it's just like man okay i understand if you wanted to put a couple of these scenes in but they are fucking everywhere (laughs) like and it's like and it's also i didn't care about kaiji i wasn't asking where kaiji was in the third film i didn't care i really like (laughs) kaiji
0: i think he has one of my favorite scenes in, uh, in Evangelion, but, I mean, he, yeah, he's yeah. not a
1: character I dislike. Uh, in the original, I liked him, but it's, it's not like I was I was missing him. In yeah, the but I,
0: I feel so like... much of Evangelion is just responses to how it was originally ended. Um, you know, and that I I it's why I really want you to watch End, and we can talk about it because to me, to me, I think End is it was ended <laughs> how it should have ended. Uh, but I, even then, people say like it feels like, like it's even End of Evangelion is a response to you know how people complaining about how it should have ended the previous time, you know. um,
1: like, another thing that I felt was like a big flaw in the fourth film, and I feel like this is something that, like, because like I said, everyone seemed to really love the film, and I was like but unless you were there for Shinji it felt like it was kind of a disappointment if you liked any of the (laughs) other characters like, I really thought the people behind me who with the Ray doll Really should have been disappointed that the only Ray you spend any significant time with, is a clone that ha- bears no relation on the Ray that you spend any of the rest of Evangelion with, and who is killed off in the first forty minutes of the film. Maybe that
0: doll was. Like, maybe that
1: doll was. They start to deve- Sorry. They start to develop. <laughs> they start to develop her, her character a bit as like, oh, you're not actually just Ray. You're 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 yourself. And then she's like, oh. Shinji, give me a name. And then he's like, I don't know, I could only come up with me. <laughs> it's like, fucking hell, Shinji. And then she dies. <laughs> and, then it's like, and then, at the end of the film, when Shinji gets back in the Eva, he gets in the robot, um, he meets the Ray that he's always known, but she only has one line of dialogue, and then disappears. And it's like, could we not have spent any time with that? Because they give so much screen time to the character that's added only for the rebuilds, Mari, who is admittedly kind of fun, but with each film, they clearly never knew what to do with her. Because In fact, Ano has admitted that with each film, he was at a loss of what to do with her, but she becomes so important in this film, to the point where she pushes all the other characters out. Like, you get a baffling scene where she somehow gets on to one of the enemy ships where Shinji's scientist not Shinji uh, Gendo's scientist pal that he's been working with evilly and then he's like ah I knew you'd come it's like how do you know Mari and he's like ah and uh yeah me and Gendo have done this for Gendo's wife But i've also prepared some things for you to stop him and they have this like three minute scene where they're like it's like but why if you really wanted to stop him why did you even help him it's just it's so baffling nothing makes sense the characters just act completely randomly like without any real care to what makes sense like Everyone's favourite character, Masato, has a son that she never sees, that she had with Kaiji, but her story in the movie is about how she's actually Shinji's surrogate mom, and it's like, but she's also actually a mom. She, oh no, it's, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Maybe, I think Evangelion got too big to not be continued, but also like, some things should just stop or end, uh, and maybe it should have ended a few a few. Episodes ago, um,
1: and that's that's why I think it was like literally a cry for help. Like Anna was like, "I don't know how to make you happy," like, <laughs> but weirdly enough, it seemed to make at least the people in that
0: audience. Yeah, I think he, he's done happy. now. Like, I think now, I mean, Even Gellin's definitely done. There's not any more Even Gellin happening. So I think, yeah, m- maybe he's he's like, oh job's done. Finally, they're happy. Now I can, I don't know, do whatever it is I really want to do in life. I can become a graveyard keeper." Um.
1: <laughs> I have two major criticisms left because uh, I, I really could go on about the minutia um, of the disservice to loads of characters but we're running long, uh, long so I'll try to keep it short. They end the series with a complete change of reality. Like They're like oh, I'll change the universe to make it so that there was never any mechs. was no evangelions and then we get like a short scene where shinji runs away with mari in a japanese train station ignoring all the other characters who are also there but the thing that drives me up the walls and i hate it whenever a story ends with and they restart reality because it just means that all the characters we get to know and we're invested in and they spent so much time telling us that it was really important to save this world, the terrible one that we were all in. The one where humanity was barely holding on. And then to just be like, well actually no it didn't matter. None of those people mattered. Um, and the son that she never saw but apparently really cared about. He doesn't exist anymore, who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> And like, why do we spend like 20 minutes of the film on this fucking kid even if you were just gonna wipe him from existence at the end? And then act like that's a good thing. Like, oh. But partly, I also think that ending was put in there so it could be like, I mean it, please stop asking me to make Evangelion. I've made it so that there can be no Evangelion ever again. Poor guy. Um... So I can kind of understand it from that point of view. But it, it's for me, it just sucked any dramatic momentum that Ed had up to that point. And I think it's one of the laziest ways you can end yeah, the they K-
0: Kingdom Hearts did. Um, except at least with Kingdom Hearts, It's uh, the universe didn't reset. It's just everyone forgot. Like It almost feels like they're trying to do more Kingdom Hearts afterwards, and so they wanted to wrap it up. Except it's for the exact opposite. So it can never be continued. It's very bizarre. It's like a bottle episode, but also the end of the episode. Very strange. Okay, well, I'm excited to watch it. I don't know how I'm going to enjoy it after I- that um after now I, because it's like one of those things is like you mentioned star wars and it's like if you don't think about the ridiculous moments of the recent star wars is you can just enjoy them for being nice visuals and not have to think about them but if you think how did billy d williams manage to get all these people to this random part of the galaxy to go and stop this or how did this happen and when you start thinking about that there is no chance of having an even passable time you're thinking about this stuff uh, and so i think i'm doomed We'll see if I enjoy it. I will watch it at some point. Uh, It is funny to me that you have a lot of very valid criticisms about it. And it sounds really bad. Because I feel like all the people who've watched it up until this point have been Stockholm Syndrome to the point where any potentially happy Evangelion is good enough for them. As long as it's not more crying, you know. Um, And uh, I think, unfortunately, that's kind of it. It's kind of in a happy place and even though it's got a lot of problems with it at least it's in a happy place and therefore it doesn't need to continue you know um
1: i can i can see that people wanting a happy ending for these characters but i think they could have had a happy ending for these characters without having rendered the previous you know four films pointless <laughs> like i i think i think an ending that would have been more true to its themes as well because the whole thing is supposed to be about like shinji really facing reality and like you know, doing what he needs to do and growing as a person, but I don't think you grow as a person when you can just remove all the things that made life difficult before. Like you magic the problems away. <laughs> like so, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of that. The other major criticism I have with this, and it's a criticism you can definitely level at Evangelia that came before it, but it is truly turned up to eleven for this film, and it is the obscene amount of PD.
0: Like What a way to end the episode, Dave. The is, bombshell. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it
1: was uncomfortable just how often they had, like, shots of the characters, like, staring at their genitals, oh, no, having Dave, them be naked, no. or half-naked, or pointing out that they're in their 14-year-old bodies, even though for several of the characters it's been 14 years, so they're actually 28. So it's actually That's okay to look implied to have been implied to be fucking Shinji's old school pal, who's also now 28, but actually looks 28. And it's... Oh, it's like... I know Evangelion has always had stuff like this to a certain extent, but it was to an extent that it was easier to ignore like whereas here it was it was more frequent than the action if I'm honest like uh, so that, that was uncomfortable for me.
0: Maybe uh, I shouldn't it. watch it Um, <sighs> anime we love you anime, we've talked about nothing but anime today but there is something wrong with anime sometimes, I wish it wasn't like this I wish that this was an isolated incident and we could blame it just on the person who made it. But unfortunately, there is a lot of stuff like this and this is bad. I don't want it. Thank you. Thank you for your service, Evangelion. You're now truly dead. Um,
1: Although I unfortunately do think we might have Anno to partly blame for this, because I have seen him in interviews where he's like we really tried to give the audience as much fan service as we
0: could. Yeah, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, wish, I mean, I guess you could read that in other ways but i do think he meant that kind of fan service
0: i mean fair enough i mean they aren't real people so i mean i guess that it's just that it just defiles the um the structure of the story like i mean none of these things are particularly real at the end of the day so it's not hurting anyone uh so i mean if it's if it's your stuff I'm go just, for it's it. just it's... but it, it's also like that shouldn't Make it okay to just see this stuff and immediately groan and not enjoy it because it does ruin the film. Uh, you know, um,
1: like for me, the, the bizarre fart part was just how much they dialed up for this last film. Because, like I say, it was in the other ones, but nowhere near as often as and as frequent.
0: Like, there is some bad stuff in End, um, which I think you know about, uh, which is real bad. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Admittedly, there is less in that in that sort of regards. There's less. There's less crimes in this. There are some part. real <laughs> crimes,
0: um, but yeah. Um, well, Evangelion. Um, what are we even doing here? Um, <laughs> I have nothing to say on Evangelion. I need to watch it. I.
1: I, I think Evangelion, the Rebuild films, are, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? a warning against doing what the fans expect yeah. you to do, instead of what makes the work function. Like, I think that's something that could have benefited from the creator having a little more confidence in what made Evangelion work, rather than what the
0: audience thinks. But even then, like, it's, you can hardly blame him. Like, he did do that. Just nobody liked it. Um Yeah. yeah. No, nobody let him. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just brutal. Like, I like the end of, end of Evangelion. It is morbid. But I love bittersweetness. Like, I am really into, like, tragedy with a little bit of good stuff. Like, with a little bit of hope. Like, you know, they always talk about the kind of Pandora's box. You know, that the hope is on the inside of the lid. Like, and is that was that a obviously the box wasn't a box that's a mistranslation uh it's a it's a jar pandora's jar that she smashes um or a vase um but that hope lies on the inside right and it's like is that a good thing that now we have hope or is it a final act of mockery by cruel gods that uh, hope makes it worse Uh, and it's the hope that kills you Um, And I think that's a really interesting place to go at. Like, it's bittersweet, it's tragic, but you have that glimmer of hope which makes it more interesting and more versatile in the way that it kind of grapples with its source medium. Um, It's a more interesting depiction of Evangelion, I think, end. Whereas this just sounds like it doesn't even try to be nuanced. It just, like, just make me stop making Evangelion now. Yeah, maybe stop making Evangelion, please. Um, Well... evangelion i wish i'd watched it so i could have said something maybe i could have maybe i would have liked it maybe I would have been one of those people um
1: yeah like i i i seem to be very much alone in this uh connor loved it uh my friend jared loved it like i But, I but, it's but, just but like when you said your <laughs> so when far. you
0: said your kind of your issues with it did they repost and have ways of solving them or is it kind of like yes everything you're saying is true but we still liked it Yes. I think
1: it's more the latter. There was like a, a, a few descriptions of. Uh, there. There's a, a 40 minute bit with like Shinji in a village that my friend Jer recontextualized a bit that was like, oh, uh, which I was like, I think the weakness was like the reason that that didn't come through strongly for me is that they focused too much on some esoteric stuff at the same time. Uh, so that the, the, the narrative purpose of Shinji there didn't quite come through to me so there were there were some things that definitely uh could be argued to have been better than i originally experienced them to be but um i don't think there was any like
0: critical Hmm. overlooked stuff right well um that's an evangelion um we're running quite over i want actually want to go to the shop to get some food um at some point but before we go we want to make fun of Square Enix. Um for creating an NFT collection. Oh, also, um, we'd like to offer a public apology. Uh, and uh maybe Dave doesn't want to, but I think Dave should. Um is the uh <laughs> is, <laughs>
1: what? I was the one She's <laughs> always in support this. of
0: whatever her name was. We talked about Bayonetta We um, said what we could with the limited reporting we had at the time. There has been overwhelming substantial evidence, circumstantial evidence, not circumstantial evidence, substantiative, oh my God, make me stop talking. Lots of evidence against uh, the uh, actor who played Bayonetta. What's her name? Helena Taylor. She's not a good person. We do not defend her. Please do not support her. She's bad. Play Bayonetta
1: yeah it was it was literally like each day something worse came out it was like oh it looks like she might not be entirely truthful and it's like oh no way, she totally lied and it's like oh no way, she was actually offered something that was considered very generous for voice acting and uh, never mind you know something that was industry standard and then it was like and then it turned out she was also seeking donations for an anti-abortion fund and it was just like literally I, I I think we're probably still due to, like, have another twist where it turns out she, like, drowns some kids And you still defend her, Dave,
0: for shame. <laughs> um.
1: No. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, definitely retracting our, our support of uh And probably... I'm uh, um, oh, sorry, yeah. We still support... I was just going to say, it's just a shame because, you know, the legitimate point of, you know, voice actors needing to be you know paid properly and given more respect is a true one but has now been lost in the mishmash this
0: one thing makes it so much harder for the people that it doesn't need to be hard for because she is bad this is going to be used as a talking point as emblazoned upon bad faith arguments across the internet of why workers shouldn't get good rights. She has made it harder, single-handedly harder for every actor everywhere, as well as for humans. So, um, I forgot what I was going to say. I was going to say something, but please, uh, she's bad. And she is the front runner for our current nerd of the year. I think she should, uh, she is front runner for nerd of the year. Mm-hmm. I can't see anyone else taking it off her apart from merely Elon Musk, um,
1: <laughs> i feel like elon musk can't be in the running because it's just an automatic well,
0: maybe incident. he was nerd of the uh, previous years um and is no additional nerd so <laughs> very bad uh and we're very sorry who else should be sorry is square enix because they released a a, a load of nfts uh, is it the symbiogenesis collection or something of a bunch of nfts and not a project right, yeah. like everyone wanted still plugging away at those NFTs we also saw the uh, announcement of the Sega Super Game which is one of the funniest things possible uh, which is Sega's Super Game Technologies in which they are creating a game that they're hoping to get I think is it 700 million dollars of revenue a ridiculous amount of revenue and when asked what the strategy is they're simply going to make a game that people like more than other games that's their strategy that is also an NFT project <laughs> holy shit Ben no, you no. followed that before? but uh, if I did I certainly wouldn't <laughs> be an (laughs) nft project using uh, crazy caption just radio